Listen up, mucker fathers. If you just can't get enough of 83 weeks, we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com. Bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything. Chat one-on-one during our live locked and loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire freaking weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others a new one on our popular Eric Fires Back series? I eviscerate Twitter trolls on me tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor. Right now, Google the internet, and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com. Hey, y'all, it's Rebel with AEW. And when I'm not with the doctor helping her dominate the women's division, you can find me on adfreeshows.com every other Sunday, hosting my personal happy hour, Rebel's Happy Hour. And I would love for you to join me. It's an hour long of drinking, laughing, a little Q&A, maybe some guest surprises, and just chatting about whatever's on your mind. I promise it's a good time. And yes, it is all face-to-face. So do it now. Do it today. Sign up at adfreeshows.com and become a top guy. And tell them Rebel sent you. You know, I get the question all the time. Conrad, I know you help people save money and you help people refinance, but could you actually help me buy a house? Yeah, buddy. Come on now. Buywithconrad.com is your hookup. And let me give you a heads up. You don't need a huge down payment to buy a house in 2022. In fact, you may not need a down payment at all. There are still loan programs out there that can get you out of your apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but buddy, we're doing it pretty routinely. And you don't have to be a veteran, but yeah, we can still help our veterans get into a house with no money down. But more importantly, we're going to help you get on the path to buy a house this year. You see, a lot of times we have these conversations and folks say, well, I've got a little bit of time left on my lease, or I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready, or how much of a down payment do I need to save up? My advice, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's start the pre-approval process. Let's know what your new house payment could look like. You'll tell us how much down payment you want to have. Maybe the answer is zero. That's cool. And then you'll tell us what you want your monthly payment to be. And then you go shopping for your dream home. But step one starts at buywithconrad.com. And hey, did you know that when you go to file your taxes as a homeowner, you're going to get a statement back from your mortgage company that's going to say, hey, you can write off this amount of interest this year. How much of your rent are you writing off this year? None of it. Oh, and by the way, what's your interest rate on your rent? Well, that would be 100%, pal. You know you can do better than 100% interest. That's what rent is. Stop throwing your money away. And by the way, we can even help you get rid of your current house and get into a better house if you already have a house but you think, you know what, it's time for a new place. We can help you at buywithconrad.com. That's buywithconrad.com, B-U-Y with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And be sure to ask about our green light underwrite. We can actually get your file completely underwritten, and that allows you to negotiate like a cash buyer. 
at buywithconrad.com. Broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. Welcome to 83 Weeks. I'm Paul Bromwell. This week's edition of 83 Weeks was recorded before the untimely death of Scott Hall. Scott was a Hall of Famer and a pioneer in this business, and without him, 83 Weeks wouldn't even be a podcast. Next week, Conrad and Eric will be back to give their thoughts on Scott. In the meantime, everyone here at 83 Weeks sends our thoughts and prayers to the Hall family. Hello and welcome to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. This is Paul Bromwell sitting in for Conrad Thompson this week, and I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you this week? I am just Awesome. Actually, as we speak, you and I today recording the show Sunday morning, I am packing up and Mrs. B and I are on our way down to Florida to hang with the Thompson family on the beach for four or five days. So that's going to be swell. And we're heading over to Tampa, Clearwater, and going to hang out with the kids and a grandkid and do a little of that. So I got a lot of fun stuff to look forward to, brother. And and while people are listening to this, I've actually been on the beach. So looking forward yeah. to it. Now, yeah, peek behind the curtain. We're doing this about a week earlier than we normally would because of vacation schedules and things. It's spring break time, Eric. It's that time of year. And uh, you said oh, it, yeah. the Thompsons. That's where that's where Conrad's at. He's getting a little time off with the wife and and his daughters and, and, and that's, he's do. if anybody needs a little bit of time off and deserves it, it's him. Oh my but gosh. Man, no kidding. Right. But that's going to be fun. Now that's going to be a nice time down there. Should be good weather for sure. Hope you guys have, uh, have had a no, nice time. I kind of found this house. Now again, this is weird because by the time people hear this, I've already been there, but as we're recording this, I'm looking forward to going. It's a weird <laughs> it <mind is>. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but Conrad told me that he rented a Jeep, um, so that we can ride up and down the beach because evidently where this big, beautiful home is that he Airbnb, you can actually drive on the beach. So nice. I got this image in my head of me and Mrs. B, you know, right around sunset, driving up and down the beach, a little glass of wine, watching it all come down over the, this is going to be awesome. Conrad only knows how to do it one way, my friend, and it's the right way, yes. especially when it comes to vacations and things like that, man. I just hope you guys have a great time. I'm sure we will. And I'm sure we did. <laughs> uh, there you go. What a dichotomy. All right. Well, listen, let's jump into what we're here about this week. And we're talking about sting and his 1998. Eric, do you remember sting from 1998 at all? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a bit, just a bit. I, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's still a memory bouncing around. Oh, there's my duck. <laughs> Sorry. I'll turn my phone. I love when that happens though. Yeah. Here, do me a favor and well, never sure. mind. We're, we're playing silly games. Let's just stop. It's all, Let's just do what we came here to do. And that's right. It's all good. Around. All right. 
Well, listen, the reason we're talking about Sting today, Eric, though, is because he, as this drops, would have just turned 63 years old on March 20th. This guy went from being retired and not medically cleared to work in the WWE to jumping off balconies and going through tables and AEW. Do you think this is how Sting envisioned his career coming to an end? It's, it's unbelievable. You know, I don't know. Steve and I never talked about that um, at any time. But here's what I do believe is true. Because I'm sure in Sting's mind, his career has ended a couple times. You know, I'm, I'm sure it, there's been more than one time when he, he was convinced, okay, this is it. Time to move on. I'm going to walk away. But like all of us, not throwing myself in his category necessarily, but people that perform, people that have gone out there at, at a fairly high level and gotten addicted to that fan energy and the reaction that you get and and, and addicted in a way, in a healthy way, I should say, uh, to that connection and being able to entertain and, and create emotion and three, four, five, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people all at one time. That's a pretty powerful drug, buddy. And it's tough to just walk away from it. But I don't think Sting would have even imagined. And he's an optimistic guy. He's a positive dude. But I don't think even in Sting's mind, he would have been able to 20 or 25 years ago say, you know what? When I'm 63 years old, I'm going to still be doing this. And I'm still going to be operating or playing at such a high level. I don't think he would have imagined it. I certainly didn't. It's incredible, man. I, I was in the building for revolution and to hear the crowd go wild for him, forget about jumping off the balcony through someone through four tables, but at 62 years old, then doing what he did, the, the popularity that he still has, it's just so cool to see how not only has his character evolved, but even after the injury, he finally got that WWE moment. It was later on in his career. We would love to seen it a, a little bit earlier, I think, but uh, man, he's just, it's just so cool to see a guy like him because he's one of the nicest guys in the world. I've had an opportunity to meet him once or twice and you just can't help, but be genuinely happy for someone like him. And he seems like he's in a very uh, happy place in his life right now. Which he's is- been in a, he's been in a good place for quite a, quite a while, Yeah, but you're right. He, you know, he is one of those people that forget about his character in the ring he's one of those people that you're just rooting for Steve Borden, the person, because the person is such a good human being and he's had his ups and downs. He's had his challenges like everybody in life. Nobody gets to escape it. You know, it's part of life. It's part of what makes you stronger and, and, and better able to have empathy with others who are struggling. It's it's, all depends how you look at it, but, Steve is a guy who looked at his challenges and dealt with them, overcame them, and is now not only to enjoy, you know, doing what he loves to do and what he's loved to do for a long time and and to be financially successful and all the things that come with it, but he's also someone that, like DDP, like Lex Luger, um, spends a lot of time trying to help other people in in his way. And that just makes me more excited about it it makes me happier for him to, to see him experiencing it. Cause he really is one of the good guys. 
Well, Eric, let's jump into it. Let's go back. Let's get in our time machines and travel back to an uh, era long ago, 1998. It's Sting, and we're coming out of Starcade. He is the world champion after that finish between him and Hulk Hogan, Nick Patrick. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure you go check it out in the archives at adfreeshows.com or youtube.com forward slash 83 weeks. It's the classic Conrad and Eric discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it, about the finish if you haven't already. And uh, as we begin 1998 for Sting, do you remember what your confidence level was in him at this point as your world champion, Eric? Oh, it was very high. I mean, look. I, I, I'm not going to dig into <laughs> Starcade 97. We've covered that in depth. And it didn't go the way any of us wanted it to go. It just, there were too many variables that were indicators that it was not the right time. But we dealt with it. And a lot of people were disappointed in the finish. And we did the best we could to kind of keep the story going forward. Uh, and I, from the point where we made the decision, okay. Starcade wasn't what we wanted, but we've we're not going to just walk away from this. We're 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 going to keep keep it going with Sting and Hogan. And I have a ton of confidence in Sting, Steve Borden, the person, and Sting, the character. There's never an issue of of not having confidence in him. Well, here we go. Our first Meltzerism of the week. Oh. He would say this. It would be a great phrase to say that 16 months of work was exposed. About halfway through Sting's walk down the aisle and before he ever got in the ring, the mythical superhero turned human right before the fans' very eyes. It wasn't if it was a bad wrestling match that did it, although the match itself was bad, but you could see the big initial pop after all the hype and special effects didn't even last until Sting made it to the ring. The match itself was a struggle. Would you agree with uh, his assessment there? I don't know. I honestly, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at it. And I, and I didn't do that research before the show. So I apologize in advance because I should have an answer for that. And I don't blame it on a fun weekend. <laughs> uh, no, really the weather just, we went from like just brutal cold, 20 below zero, 23 below zero, 40 mile an hour winds, wind chills of like 30 below. And yesterday it was 60 and sunny. So when it gets that nice out, I tend to uh, spend a lot of time outside and didn't do the research I should have done. So I'd have to go back and look at it, to be honest with you. I don't like to just blow holes in Meltzer just for the fun of doing it, which, it, you know, it, it is a pretty good time. But I like to have a basis for it. So well, hey, I'll, listen. I'll give him that one just on, you know, my lack of familiarity with that entrance. Well, I can tell you, you'll have some more opportunities this show to do that, so to blow holes at Mulser. So we'll get there. Uh, Thunder is set to debut in early 1998. It's Thunder time. Was the plan to have Sting slotted to be the big part of the of the debut of Thunder, Eric? Yes. I mean, look, we, we've talked about it so much. I, I, I hesitate to even mention it again. But the plan with WCW Nitro and WCW Thunder was Nitro NWO, under WCW and obviously sting was a WCW guy. So clearly sting was going to be right there at the top in terms of what we were building upon. 
Well, WCW debuts at the Georgia Dome on the first Nitro in 98, and it's Sting, uh, you know, as far as him and Luger, they're fighting off the NWO. Once the chase is all over for Sting and he becomes champion, what is the plan as far as keeping him hot, keeping that character going? Uh, Did you feel like there was any kind of creative struggles? Okay, we finally made it. The big push of Sting and the Crow Sting to get him the title. Now he's a champion. Where do we go next? Was there was there a struggle with that, Eric, to try to keep the momentum going with him? No, but it's interesting because thinking back about it from the perspective I have now, um, what there should have been, and, and perhaps there was to, to various levels or degrees, but there should have been a, a, a pretty good conversation going about what, what happens to Stig's character. Now that he's gone from, you know, my – my friends, you know, the people I've known for so long have, they doubt me. They don't trust me anymore. That was the catalyst for the whole brooding, scary sting character, right? Is uh, WCW no longer believed in him as a character. And they thought that perhaps he was guilty of things he wasn't really guilty of. Well, now that we've cleared all that up, now we're fast forwarding to this point, 1998. Now that we've played that story out for the last, whatever it was, year and a half, year, um, what happens to Sting's character? Now that he's reclaimed his rightful position of leadership and integrity as a character in WCW, how does that impact the character? Does he stay the same? And again, this is something I wish we would have talked in depth about back then because it would have been important in, in order to really advance the story the way it should have been advanced. We should have seen not a new Sting necessarily, but a different Sting. You know, we should have seen things in Sting's character that kind of harkened back to the surfer Sting character because now he was in that leadership position as a world champion and proven that he was innocent of all doubt and and consideration in terms of him, you know, being an evil dude, being a part yeah. of the NWO. But I don't know that we saw that. No, you're absolutely right because it was like he it was on his mission he, he was the mission for not only for revenge, but to be the savior and, and come back. So now what? Where, where does he go from here? Well, I mean, the now what in terms of storylines are easy because as they always are when you're the world champion, when you're the baby face, when you're the leader, when you're the hope. And that's what that really is for WCW. He was the hope, you know, that WCW was going to come back and finally, you know, put a nail in the coffin of NWO and things would go back to normal. Kind of like everybody was hoping to get rid of the COVID mandates and wearing masks and being afraid to go outside and all that crap. We were hoping that at some point this is going to come to an end. Well, Sting was that hope for WCW. Um, So the the storylines going forward would have been easy in the sense that the NWO or whatever heel, even within WCW, uh, on the WCW side of the roster was there to take him down because everybody wants that power. Everybody wants to be in that position, theoretically. You know, what's really interesting, Paul, is I was thinking about this a couple months ago. I don't know what got me thinking about it, but I think one of the things that's lacking across the boards, WWE, WCW, excuse me, WWE and AEW, is real stakes. When I say real stakes, I mean within the context of sports entertainment, meaning 
so what if you win a title? What does that mean? That people can relate to. Right. What does it mean to win a world championship? Well, it means you get to brag. It means you get to come out with that belt over your shoulder. It means that there's a lot of attention on you. None of that is really relatable to the audience, is it? It's no. gratifying as a performer because that it's an it's it's a a recognition that you've reached a certain level in your industry and the company believes in you and they're going to focus on you and hopefully grow their business, you know, because of you being in that position and the stories that ensue. That's what it all means internally, like behind closed doors or behind the curtain. But what does it mean to the audience for someone to win a world championship? In UFC, it's money, right? Mm -hmm. You win the majority of the purse. In the NFL, it's the pride, it's the struggle, but guess what? You get a big-ass check, too, and that's relatable. But in wrestling, we don't talk about that, do we? There's no association, direct association, between winning a world championship, which in every other sport is relatable because of the financial impact it has on people and what it's going to do for their careers going forward when you're, you know, the, the Super Bowl you know, champions quarterback and or whatever, you're on the team, right? You're a star of the team. It's all relatable to people, but in wrestling, it's not. Yeah, and you're up, it, so, yeah. it would be interesting, and I know it's this is too hard and this isn't the right place to have this conversation, but it would be really interesting if there was a way and I don't mean that, you know, back in when I was a kid, it was like a oh, $50,000 battle Royale. You couldn't do that today, but that's what I mean. It was relatable to people. It was a, it, 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 it was, there were stakes that people could go, well, oh yeah, I'd want to fight for $50,000. How many of us have ever thought when I get in the ring with Mike Tyson, when Mike Tyson was in his prime, well, for, you know, part of that purse, hell yeah. I'll let anybody beat the shit out of me for you know, a couple million bucks. No problem. I'll heal. And when I do, I'm fat. I like it. <laughs> but, but in wrestling, we don't have that. I'd like to see that. And you know something else I'd like to see? This has nothing to do with what we're here to talk about. It just has nothing to do with it. I didn't even think about this until now. Sure show, Eric. Go go at it, man. Go. Yeah, I mean, we, look, we're pretty loose here, right? We <laughs> don't right. stick the formats around here. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, and this is really a what if. Okay, it's 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is here. I'm a little, still a little slow. Haven't had enough coffee. But what if, come on, fantasize with me, people. What if WWE in AEW, and health, throw in a couple of the small ones too, like impact, whatever. What if there was an agree- a legitimate agreement between the three companies? Because they're never going to work together in any meaningful way, AEW and WWE. It's just not going to happen. You've got yeah. networks that don't want to have, have it. I mean, just there's, there's no way that will ever happen. However, one thing that I know I could pitch a network that I could get them to buy into was a relationship between WWE and AEW or anybody else. Well, including anybody else, I guess, whereby once a year they, they agree to trades just like you have in any other sport so that you have a legitimate 
conversation that could actually transpire about talent going back and forth. Not in a, well, their contract's up. Because guess what? We all know if a top talent's contract's up, they're going to either WWE from AEW, Cody Rhodes, or they're going from WWE, fuck, who knows how many people, to AEW. (laughs) You already know it's going to (laughs) happen. Right. So why not make that fun? Why not make that a story? Why? Look, I think one of the reasons that, and I, I keep talking about the NFL because I'm, I'm a passive NFL fan. I don't watch a lot of it. I don't spend time listening to talk radio shows about it. I'm not deep into it, but you know, I like to watch it, especially during the playoffs. Um, but I'm same. I'm sure the same is true in basketball and in baseball. Part of the fun in in those respective sports is. Where, where are players going to go? Which players are likely to go? And when those players are under a long-term contract, well, there's no conversation about that. But what if Sami Zayn, for example, and I don't know how to structure this, and I have to think more about it. This is just coming to me. But again, set up a system whereby certain people within your roster, not your top guys, that's not going to happen. That's not, that's not real. But the middle of the card, down below the card, some of the emerging talent, some of the young, new, fresh talent, have it written into their contract that those contracts may be traded to another wrestling organization under the same terms, by the way. So I, I just think it would add so much more fun conversation into the narrative about wrestling where it's normally kind of negative right oh it would be hopeful if you've got talent in 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 wwe for example you know braun breaker okay well he's still within his you know here i'm trying to put structure to this he's still you know he's been in the business for less than three years under contract for wwe for less than three years or whatever it's been he is eligible for a draft so as we're watching braun's character grow and become more important now you've got legitimate chatter could he possibly get traded would wwe trade him say for somebody who's really hot in aew that maybe isn't at the top but wwe sees a lot of potential in and i just think having that kind of back and forth chatter would be the equivalent of you know what do people talk about you know when the nfl's over they they can't wait to you know for the combines to start they can't wait for the draft you know, it's keeping that sport alive 365 days a year. And I think you could do the same thing, although wrestling is already 365 days a year. I think you could add an interesting, credible backstory narrative that would keep the fans even more engaged in a more positive way. And, oh, man, I can't stand. Did you see that finish? Their promos suck. I mean, it's, just, it's such a negative narrative, but I think this could be fun. I have to give it a lot more thought. Literally, just rolled off the top of my head, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. By now you know that everything is crazy overseas, and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. 
We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention, this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity, just based on your real estate values. You see, all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that. It was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans. Buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate. But if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated, what if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. Uh, are you kidding me? It would become the biggest event of the year in, in wrestling. And it would also, I think, take away some of this negativity of WWE versus AEW. When it comes down to fans and social media, I think it would just do a lot. This man, it would be awesome if it could work out. Fantasy wrestling, are you kidding? It's gotta be what well, it kind of is, right? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of is. And again, I don't know how you would structure it to actually execute upon it. I'm sure it could be done. The biggest hurdle would be getting anybody to agree to it, being you know, WWE and AEW. But in the long run, like if I was a if I owned NBC and I or pick a major network. And I was going to commit to the wrestling industry and I decided I was going to buy WWE and I was able to buy AEW. That's what I would do as a network. I would sit back and say, okay, guys, we got, we got to make, we got to take this to the next level. I hate using that's overused, but okay. We're here. This is where we're at today. We need to go to here. How do we do that? That's one discussion that I would have. And if you owned both companies, you could effectively do it. Yeah. It'd be awesome. You'd have that to be careful that it doesn't yeah. become the raw SmackDown draft situation. Right. Cause that, that, that is at the very least, it is not interesting. And in reality, it is a huge challenge every year. It is a, it's a pain in the ass. 
to figure that out. And I think for fans, it really doesn't mean much. This is something that could mean a lot. Yeah, it would have to have that structure too, like you said, an NFL, where, hey, this is the set dates of what we're doing and how we're doing it, and that's we don't deviate. If someone get injured, they're injured. It's not, let's start swapping. Oh, and, and you'd have the around. legitimate, you know, just like you do in real sports, you'd have certain players that were like, look, I've, I know I've got four years left of my contract, and I know I'm not el- eligible for a trade, yeah. but I want to be. <laughs> I want to be Russell Wilson. Move yeah, me. that would yeah. be so awesome. Come on, <laughs> Come on people. Yeah. Yeah. Get with the program. Think big. Think of a different way to do what we've been doing for so long on television. Add something to it that actually changes not just the creative, but the dynamic, the strategy. Make it bigger, folks. Make it bigger. And with that, we'll transition back to Sting 1998. <laughs> So Eric, we'll keep going. Now that is fantastic. I love the concept. The creativity still flowing in you, Eric. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's still alive, man. It's still alive, but we're coming back here to the debut episode of something else that you created thunder and it featured JJ Dillon announcing the WCW world title is vacant because of what's happened. And it'll be decided at super brawl between Hulk and sting it's interesting because they skipped sold out pay-per-view all together and pushed it to Super Brawl. Uh, what were Hulk's thoughts about working with Sting again at this point? Do you remember or recall what he was thinking about? Oh, okay, I'm going to work with Sting again. Was he have feeling some kind of way about that? I think he was excited about it. Look, Sting was, Hulk loved working with Sting. Absolutely loved it because the magic was there and you could feel it. You could see it. You could count it <laughs> at the end of the night. You could measure it in every practical way. Um, so he was excited about it. You know, look, we're all, all of us, we're still affected to one degree or another at the way things didn't turn out at Starcade. And this was a way to attempt to get back on track and make it right. And Sing, or Hulk was excited about that. He wanted to get that magic back. And he was excited physically to get in the ring with Sting because Sting was such a great performer, still is. Well, Eric, sold out ends with Lex Luger versus Randy Savage on top, and the NWO attacks Sting, uh, and the show goes off the air with Sting having Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock. Are there any issues or signs of potential issues with Sting at this time? No, none at all. None at all. Look, we, we dealt with what we dealt with. We moved on, and this was in large part, the sting that we had back in 96 and 97, early 97. Well, buddy sting versus Hogan isn't dead by any means when it comes to setting records, because, uh, you set a crowd and a gate record for a non-televised event in Boston at the fleet center, getting 18,134 paid for 325,154 with Hulk versus sting in a cage is the main event. This is also the first ever internet pay-per-view uh, listen event as well. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me we drew a 300,000-plus house in Boston for a house show? For a house show, Eric. Wow, those were the days, brother. <laughs> but this internet pay-per-listen event, okay? You were on the cutting edge of everything back then. and I still am, brother. I am still on the cutting, are, I'm on the cutting edge of life. <laughs> But man, I, I was reading through that, uh, and I thought, my goodness, already, already thinking, th- thinking ahead of times, the internet. Here we are, Erica. 
was uh, was making things happen back then. Sting gets the win after both would be bleeding, and Meltzer speculates that both got away with blading against company policy. And uh, it's reported that Hogan got a better reaction than Sting in terms of crowd pop. Was this Crow Sting losing its luster once the uh, the bell rang, as, as no. Bruce likes to say? Look, every every town, every city is has its own personality ah. and its own legacy. Hulk Hogan, there was a lot of people in that crowd that were Hulk Hogan fans back in, you know, the yeah. the eighties, the, the late eighties and the early nineties. They still remembered that Hulk Hogan. So you, you can't judge the reaction of a national audience or an international audience based on the reaction to one local crowd. So I, I would say no, the Hulk's reaction had a lot more to do with just being Hulk Hogan in Boston. I mean, that's really WWE, you know, yes. Madison Square Garden is their backyard. Well, guess what? So is Boston. That's right. Probably just as much. Makes total sense when you say it, Eric, as you think about it. They were in Boston so much through the Hulkamania days, and uh, that crowd just got to be so excited to see. And that loyalty doesn't go away. It just doesn't, you know. Well, the numbers would come in for Starcade, and uh, when you compare Starcade '96 with Hogan versus Piper to '97 with Hogan versus Sting, I, I want to share a few numbers with you. I know you like numbers, Eric. I know it's early, but these will yeah, definitely. Really, I'm reaching for my calculator because these I'm, are going to resonate. I've only had one cup of coffee, and I'm barely functional <laughs> this, on one cup of coffee. This is not too overwhelming. These are pretty easy. Estimated uh, attendance, average attendance for '96, three thousand nine eleven. Uh, and 97 for that Starcade, 7,649. That's 95.6% increase there. The gate went from 48,000 to 138. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, plus 188% there. Starcade, uh, when you ter- talk about the buy rate in 96, 0.95 buy rate for 2.85 million in 97. 1.9 buy rate for 6.85 million. That's a hundred percent increase in buy rate and a hundred and fifty percent increase in overall revenue. Do you attribute that to just Sting? No, I mean no, no. You can never. I, I don't think you can ever do that. You can't look at one character or one performer or even two at the top over an extended period of time, like we did with Hulk and, and Sting, and say it's because of those two. It's because of the story. It's because of the NWO. It's because of so much of what was happening underneath it to to push the audience's interest to such a great level. And that's the kind of thing, you know, when I always talk about growing the audience, I know I beat, on, I beat up on that a lot, but that's what this industry needs. You know, I, I firmly believe that in any business, it doesn't matter. You're either growing or you're dying. You may be dying a very, very, very slow death. You may be dying a fast death. But if you're growing, you're not dying. And 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 by not growing, the and one could argue that the audience is still atrophying. You know, there are less people watching wrestling today than there were 20 years ago. Just is a fact. Um, you need, and, and look, to, I, I think it would be hard to recreate the kind of growth that WCW experience between 95 and 98 would be really hard because things have changed so much, but incrementally this, this audience should be growing. The story should be more compelling. The characters should be coming more and they're not, 
across the board. And everybody's gradually losing, losing audience. Now, the people will say, well, but AEW is you know, 15% ahead of where they were last year. But there's, there's variables there, and there's a reason for that. Let's see where we're at you know, a year from now. But we're still not seeing in WWE or in AEW the kind of incremental growth across the board that I think is necessary for the business to remain healthy. And I could be wrong on that. I'm not in the programming market. I'm not negotiating licensing rights anymore. A lot of things have changed, and I understand that. I admit that. But in general, just knowing how TV works, your audience is either growing or eventually somebody's going to be looking for something to replace you with that will grow. I stand on that. Yes, we were growing the business by leaps and bounds. And I love hearing these numbers. It's almost hard to believe. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about, protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for GoliathLife.com, but to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance. If you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath Life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at GoliathLife.com. And the beauty of that matchup too, was the build and letting it breathe. And like you said, having that, the NWO and their dominance and reign, everybody wanted to finally see that taken down. And you had to have that, you had to have that side, that build. And, and that, that angle was built, uh, for a while was staying in the rafters. So it came to a place where it became a box office attraction that people could not wait to see. So there you go. Uh, The entrances for Sting keep getting higher and higher. As at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Sting is in the main event against Randy Savage, and he comes down from about 40 stories high. Did you ever talk to Sting, or does Sting ever talk to you or anyone else about any issues with all these high places and coming down from the rafters? 
In the very beginning, when we first started doing that with Sting, yeah, there was a lot of conversations about it. I mean, Sting never really, um, I never got the sense he was afraid of doing it. He was in a very healthy, you know, professional way, concerned about it, wanted to make sure everything was right. Um, but he was always pretty upbeat whenever we talked about it. I mean, he, he admitted that, you know, it was a little nerve wracking, but I think after a while, he got more and more and more comfortable. Then I, I think it became more fun for him after he got comfortable doing it. After he was convinced that it was going to be safe, uh, then he could enjoy it a lot more than he did early on. But at no point did Sting ever come to me and say, look, dude, I, that's too high. I can't do that. Never. That never happened. Yeah. Well, listen, this is one uh, I want to talk to you about that. I was, I'm interested in hearing uh, what you have to say. It's reported in the observer that coming off of Mike Tyson being announced for WrestleMania, there was a negotiation that went uh, nowhere to get Evander Holyfield to referee Sting versus Hogan at Super Brawl in the Cow Palace. Any truth to that rumor or None remember that? whatsoever. That conversation never happened. Here is probably where that started. Harvey Schiller was the president of Turner Sports. Harvey Schiller was also my boss. And Harvey Schiller was also friends with Evander Holyfield. And there were some discussions between Evander and, and Harvey, Turner Sports, about exploring different things that they could do together. None of which had anything to do with WCW. But somebody probably saw Evander Holyfield in Evander's office. And I think I, I actually met Evander in, in Harvey's office on more than one occasion. And then somebody said, oh, my gosh, Eric Bischoff's up talking to Harvey Schiller and Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield's coming to WCW. And then it ends up in Dave Meltzer's dirt sheet. That's how that stuff happens. Mm -hmm. But there was never any discussion about it. I think the discussions had to do with possibly goodwill games, opportunities, hosting different things. Do we, you know, Turner Sports was in exploring. Harvey was a very... Um, he had a lot of vision and he was exploring a lot of different things and he was friends. I mean, legitimate friends with Evander. So that's what that was. That's all it was. In those days, all it would have taken is to see you with a handshake with Holyfield and, oh, they must be talking about something. Something's going on there. Yeah. Or we could have been, you know, sharing an Arthur Treacher's fish and chips in, in the, in the commissary. That's and, right. Oh my gosh. You see that Bishop Evander Holyfield. Oh, he, and they're doing it to counter Mike Tyson because Mike, you know, that's a Dave. Well, that's how Dave Meltzer. Oh, I love it. it. Just make shit up and connect a bunch of dots that don't really exist, but make them look like they do. I'll bet you, I'll bet you he'll be at super brawl. How much you want to bet? Oh, that's good stuff. Well, on nitro from El Paso, a classic angle where the NWO drops a net on sting and Luger and they beat the shit out of them to give sting a weakness. It looks like going into super brawl. It was time to go back to old school heat for sting as he's working from underneath instead of the super hu human character it would appear. And, uh, that's how that works. Yeah. Otherwise, if you've got a babyface champion that's overcoming all odds, why do I care? Right. But if you've got a babyface champion who I really, really love, I'm rooting for, and he's being overwhelmed by the bad guys, now what am I doing? I'm hoping and engaging because I want to see my guy overcome the odds again. I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's, fuck, that is as fundamental 
to wrestling storytelling as it can possibly get. Wrestling 101. We have uh, some fun going on here with you, your old pal, Nick Patrick, uh, Eric, and uh, from The Observer regarding Super Brawl, J.J. Dillon came out for an interview and said that no charges had ever been brought against Nick Patrick, and after reviewing the tapes, they saw no evidence of wrongdoing, and he was reinstated. Patrick's, wow. Patrick still acted like a heel, even though he kissed Gene Okerlund and hugged Dillon. Patrick then acted like he was going to ref the main event, but Dylan said he wasn't going to ref the main event. Then Patrick wanted to find out about his back pay. The original plan here was to get a famous lawyer from the most famous trial in recent history involved who would show up at the pay-per-view and legally bully Dylan into reinstating Patrick from the main event rather than Dylan having to basically reverse positions with no logical reason at all. Johnny Cochran was the first choice. But when that didn't materialize, they completed a deal for Robert Shapiro. Uh, I'm not making this up. Anyway, a few days before the show, Shapiro must have been talking with someone about doing it. And the person told Shapiro how associating with pro wrestling would affect his image. So he backed out at the last minute, <laughs> leaving. <laughs> oh, my God. Leaving, I'll finish. I only got two more. Leaving WCW with no way to transition angle A to angle C. After Shapiro nixed the deal, WCW made a last ditch attempt to get Cochran, who claimed to have liked the idea and would have been willing to do it. But darn those previous commitments. Eric, what say you? This is the first I've ever heard of this <laughs> nonsense. Wow. That has to be. The, that's right up there with Dave Meltzer. And he, he still re refuses to admit that he actually printed this. I actually saw a copy of it when I first commented on it, when Dave Meltzer said that, you know, there's, there's a rumor that Mabel's going to be the third man. Well, after I busted Meltzer's balls on podcasts and let the world know about it and social media lit on fire, Dave actually posted something himself trying to, trying to um, give himself some credibility for suggesting that and blamed it all on who? X-Pac, who still wasn't, he wasn't even in WCW at the time. And I'm sure, I don't know what X-Pac said, but Dave took it, went with it, and it was being considered that Mabel was going to be the third man. That's where that all came from. And yes, Dave, you wrote it, and you justified writing it because you pointed out that X-Pac told you that, but X-Pac wasn't even in WCW and wouldn't have been privy to any of those conversations. He might have heard a rib or a joke or who knows he and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash may have gotten together sometime and had a couple glasses of wine or whatever and started throwing shit out there, but it was never a part of any discussion that I had. And this is even worse than that. Mabel example. This is, this is insane. Absolutely insane. I don't know who fed that to Dave, but Dave, you were a stupid mucker father if you heard that and you printed it as fact, as fact, and it's, I've never heard of it until just now. That is so insane. So, so I guess that means you weren't talking to Marsha Clark either then, huh? No, no, fuck no. 
And what makes it funny to me, though, is, is when you read to me that Johnny Crocker, Cochran or whichever one of them was willing to do it, and then somebody told him that, oh, no, I don't know, associating with wrestling. It was Shapiro. Might be yeah. bad for your image. Yeah, Shapiro. Yeah. Might be bad for your image. Mucker Father just defended O.J. Simpson and got him off for crying out loud, and he's worried about his image? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Meltzer, you're such a stooge, and not even a good one. You could tell this idiot anything, and he'll print it, which is, I think, to a, to a degree, what what happens. Uh, yeah, I think he just, yeah, he thinks he's getting some insight. He just laid it out Everybody that fed him the news is going, watch this. Dave's going to report this shit. Wow, <laughs> uh, you know, between the Evander Holyfield and now we're into Shapiro and Cochran, I, I was just like, wow, this is a star-studded episode. I can't because well, no, he's got it because this is how this is how this idiot's mind works. He, he has never liked me. I've been calling him out since day one, right? And and exposing him. Now I have a platform to do it, so it's much more effective than it used to be when it was just me with, without social media and the ability to have these types of conversations on a regular basis. But he had to have something negative to write about WCW because we were kicking WWE's ass. We were performing. We were achieving things that people like Dave Meltzer never thought we would be able to, certainly not under my leadership, would be able to achieve. Well, fuck, can't put that guy over because I hate his guts, that fucking bishop. So I've got to make shit up to make it look like it's dysfunctional, even though it's functioning at a very high level. That's where Dave Meltzer comes from. And that's now you see the opposite of that with AEW, right? Because somebody named a wrestling finish move after him in AEW and he's friends with the Young Bucks. So he's, you know, the advisor to Tony Khan and he's never going to say anything bad about AEW, whether he should or not as a journalist, I mean, he's not a journalist, but as a dirt sheet writer, he should at least pretend to be objective, but he's not because of his personal relationship. Well, I had the opposite personal relationship, which is why Dave made up so much of this nonsense because he had to have something to write about other than the facts, the facts were that WCW was kicking ass in the early 1998. We were rocking and rolling. It wasn't until the middle of 98 that the wheels started getting a little wobbly and starting to fall off. So I take it. You never won any observer awards. I never got booker of the year. No. Oh my God. Dirt sheet booker of the year. What an accomplishment. Uh, well, listen, I have a feeling that you and Conrad next year are going to cover Super Brawl in long form. It'll be an anniversary year, but we got to touch on the main event because it's Sting and he uh, he regained the vacant WCW title, beating Hulk Hogan in 16 minutes, 32 seconds. And uh, Meltzer would say, since Hogan books his own programs, it was no doubt his own insistence to swerve people at the last minute. But since he was doing the job, he dominated virtually the entire match. The negative of that is his offense is beyond bad. Match was saved by having very good storytelling. Sting made the Superman comeback with two Stinger splashes and went for the reverse CDT. On the way down, Hogan kicked Patrick, who went down. At this point, the NWO stooge squad of Conan, Norton, Bagwell, and Vincent ran out with Sting taking them all out. While this was going on, Savage hit the ring and KO'd Hogan with a spray can. Patrick revived and counted as Sting pinned Hulk Hogan. Hogan sold the blow for several minutes, allowing Sting to spray paint WCW on Hogan's back as the show went off the air. He gave it a half star. 
Is this the finish that you would have liked to seen for maybe Starcade in hindsight, or what are your thoughts? Well, I would on have this liked one? to see a clean finish. I've always, okay. I, I would always prefer a clean finish. And I, no secret, you know, WCW had, I think, some of the worst finishes consistently um, of any wrestling company in recent history. The finishes sucked. It was always a disappointment most of the time. Not always. Most of the time it was a disappointment. Um, but no, that's not it. But I want to go back again. I'm, this is the last thing I'm going to spend sure. too much time on with regard to Meltzer. Again, going back to the the opening of that commentary you just shared from Meltzer. Because Hogan butchers his own books, his own masses, blah, 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 blah. Of course he put himself over, you know, all, all that nonsense that Dave said. Then he goes on to say, but it was saved by great storytelling. Well, Hogan dominating the match and Sting coming back to win it was the fucking story, you idiot. And if Hogan laid that out, you just, you're too stupid to know it. But you just gave Hulk Hogan a great compliment. Was his offense great? No. Hulk Hogan's never been a Kurt Angle or an Eddie Guerrero, right? He's never been a technical wrestler. He's been a larger-than-life character that has made, other than probably Rock and maybe Austin, more money than anybody in the history of the business. And adjusted for inflation, yes, even those two. So he's never been known for that, but he was a larger-than-life character. And in Dave's own words, the match had great story. That's what Hogan did if he indeed laid out that entire match, which, by the way, he didn't. Hulk wasn't the greedy, creatively greedy pig that I know Meltzer likes to make him out to be. He had certain things he was comfortable doing, certain things he wasn't comfortable doing, and he had strong feelings about how to get the crowd to react because I guess in the history of the business, not too many people can meet or exceed Hulk Hogan's ability to hold the crowd in the palm of their hand for as long as Hulk Hogan, the character did. So he did have a strong opinion and so did sting. I'm sure those two worked together on that match. But again, if you listen to Dave Meltzer, Hulk Hogan showed up two minutes before showtime said sting, this is what we're going to do because I want to make myself look good because I'm doing the job, which again was never the way that Hulk Hogan approached anything. Again, that's the way Dave liked to cover stuff because he didn't like Hogan either. Well, and at the end of the day, he's still Hulk Hogan. He's still drawing. He's still. By the way, you haven't gotten to it yet. I don't mean to to jump around too much here. But as bad as everything we did was with Starcade 97, what was the gate for this pay per view at Super Brawl? Uh, I don't have the gate numbers for that. Do you have a buy rate? Uh,. I do. Super Bowl comes out. It's a good buy rate, 1.1. So it was down from Starcade, which was 1.9. But uh, it's better than sold out, which was the pay-per-view between. Yeah, but that's not saying much, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a 1.1 buy rate. Does it does it talk about revenue? Do you have the revenue? I don't have the revenue it? numbers, just the buy rate. Okay. Well, boy, we are both striking out in terms of research on this one. <laughs> Conrad's going to put us both in research Yeah, jail. I'm in timeout. Yeah. But, right a uh, thousand times. I will do my research before the show. I will do the research before the show. Hey, listen, we made up for it with all those stats and figures for the Starcades, the two Starcades. So maybe there you we get go. a pass oh, okay. there. I'm, I'm good okay. with it. I'm good all with right, it. All right, cool. 
Well, Uncensored is up next as we journey through Sting 1998, and it's announced that Sting's going to defend his title against Scott Hall and coming off the big show like Super Brawl. And and by the way, this is a couple weeks, Eric, before Mike Tyson will be in the main event of WrestleMania between Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels. How confident are you in a program with these two here? Uh, You know, the goal is you're obviously wanting to keep pressure on WWF uh, right now. So what are you thinking uh, with Hall and Sting? That's not true, Paulie. I mean, people would assume that my goal was to keep pressure on WWF, but I wasn't thinking that way. Okay. I was just trying to reach our own internal goals. And and I'm going to be honest. When I found out about Tyson, that was the first time in a long, that was the first time ever that I was actually concerned about WWE. I was so confident going into 1998. Just, I just, and I had every reason to be the Tyson thing changed everything. And I've told the story before. I'll keep it short. I was down in Kissimmee, Florida. I was finishing up um, some flying lessons. I was getting my private pilot's license at the time. And I went down there to kind of just spend a week just focusing on nothing but flying and taking care of business at night when I had to. But my days, I was pretty much trying to get through the process. And I had just come back from a training flight and touched down, and I got a page um, because I still kept a pager. had a cell phone, but still kept a pager. And I got a page to call Zane Breslov. And I called Zane and from a pay phone. And I called Zane and said, man, what's up? Because it was like 911 type of thing. So I called Zane back and he goes, bro, I just, you're never going to guess, man. I, I, now this was a couple months before this, obviously, or a month or two before. And he said, they're bringing in Mike Tyson for a program. Usually Zane would call me and tell me what WWE was doing. And I was like, oh, fuck, whatever, Zane. Cool. I mean, I would engage in a conversation. We'd have fun with it as friends. But from a business perspective, nothing they were doing mattered to me because I was focused on my own shit. By that time, I didn't have to beat them up anymore. At that time, I didn't have to be up in anybody's face. I didn't have to give away finish. I didn't have to do a lot of the stuff that I did starting out because I got the audience to sample me and they stuck around. But when I heard about Tyson, I thought, oh, man, that's going to change. We're going to reverse polarity again. It's an electrical term, polarity, I think. The polarization of the dynamics between WCW and WWE were about to shift with Tyson. Definitely. Now, you asked me the question, how confident was I in Sting and Hall? Yeah. On paper, 100% confident. Behind the scenes, Hall was, he was a ticking time bomb. You never knew for sure when it was going to go off. You never knew for sure what would show up. I love Scott Hall. He's one of my favorite people. And I wish him nothing but the absolute best because he's got some physical challenges right now. But at that time, and I think Scott would admit, he I don't think Scott knew what, who was going to show up when Scott showed up at the building. So on paper, yes. Behind the scenes, I was pretty nervous. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. 
Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. You see, temperature-controlled sleep repairs our muscles after a hard day's work, and it improves our cognitive function, so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, that's the one I have, and the Cube Sleep System. Both are hydropower, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili sleep can make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chili blanket. It's the only weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. As you know, by now I am a longtime believer in chili sleep and they've been advertising with us for, for quite a while. This is the best offer they've ever had. They've never offered 30% off before, but they do right now. This offer won't last forever. So hurry to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks. Well, Eric, uh, speaking of numbers, and I know you said, Hey, when, when Tyson, the news of Tyson broke, you knew the pressure was on, but nitro still they, it's on fire. It sets an all time record with a 5.1 rating and a 7.49 share 5.1 rating. Polly, I don't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. But that's roughly 7 million people at that time. But if you listen to the dirt sheets, everything was fucked up. It was horrible. They dropped the ball. There were 7 million people watching WCW. And probably another couple million, three or four, watching WWE. Listen, it was the main that's event. amazing, dude. The main that's event amazing. got a 5.5 rating. Luger and Sting. The main event scored a 5.5 rating. Luger and Sting against Hogan and Savage. Now, to be fair, this was the third hour running unopposed against Raw, but Luger and Sting, 5.5. It was also between 10 and 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast, which is a dead zone for television. Yeah. Right? I mean, I I think I'm right. Was this a this was a three hour show? So it was was a this was a three hour show. Yeah, Yeah. we're talking in the and that match probably came up what about ten forty five Eastern. Yeah, so you're really in the dead zone, and there were still over seven million people watching that match. I I feel like it's lost at WCW in the beginning of nineteen ninety eight. Uh, even though you have the 83 week streaks broken in a couple months, but the company was so red hot. It's ridiculous. And, and honestly, when you, sh- you share those numbers with me, it's mind boggling to me and I did it, but it's, it, again, it's just what a great time. Mm. What a great time. Mike Tyson coming in, all of the energy that that created, the Hogan Sting story saga, even with its flaws, everything that was done between the two companies to elevate and grow the audience, and it was story-driven. 
and character driven, both companies, because WWE by this point, and you know, we saw it play out, you know, Mike Tyson, I think was the pivot point for WWE. That was the most significant and important thing that they had done creatively. And if you go back and look at it and just in a clear headed way, in an objective way, recognize that that was an amazing shift in the WWE business model. That was when they decided, actually it was done. It was, it was publicly announced in November. I think Vince McMahon came out and said that they were going to change their approach to business. That's right. We didn't know what that was, but Vince knew it was time to drop the teen and preteen, you know, approach to their programming and follow in WCW's footsteps and target the 18 to 49 year old demo, which became so successful for us. And Tyson was the key to doing that. And then they built upon that. The Mr. McMahon character, Stone Cold Steve Austin. That, I mean, my God, that was such an important, and it's WWE. I'm doing Scott Hall and Sting it Uncensored, which I've discussed this with Connor. It was, I hate to say, a throwaway pay per view, but we've got a pay per view in March, and then there's WrestleMania. Well, guess what? All the focus is, people. Yeah, we're going to put on a pay per view, but are we going to? put everything we have into a pay-per-view that we know no one's really going to be watching because during that time of year, the only thing that people were going to spend money on or to, to, to a large degree was WrestleMania. So you program accordingly knowing that, but my God, these numbers are just, I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent. That's no, okay. Just hearing these numbers Staggering. are mind boggling. And I mean, again, I want to, because people that listen to the show think I'm trying to put myself over all the time. And sometimes I do, but this moment right now in 1998 is one of the most pivotal moments in, in wrestling because it was the point in time that WWE decided, fuck it, we're going to go Attitude Era. They might not have called it Attitude Era at the time, but creatively they knew the direction that they were going to go. And that's what changed everything for WWE's future. Well, Eric, too, these numbers also, I know we like to talk about them here, and you and Conrad do as well, but it helps serve as a reminder of just how special and magical this time of the business was. It was an incredible time, time like we'll never probably see ever again in terms of when you're talking these ratings. It's just incredible. I know there's a lot of reasons for it now and streaming and this and all that, but still, when you're talking 55 of a rating score. That's just unheard of. That's ungodly when it comes to wrestling. That's amazing. And again, and today's to audience, people, of. most of the people listening to this don't know what 5.5 or 4.9 share means because Nielsen ratings are now reported in terms of total viewers. So that's what the majority of the people listening to the show are used to hearing is total viewers. They're not used to hearing ratings. They don't know how to correlate the numbers, but a 5.5, well, let me do a little quick math here. Five point. I love it. I'm getting some Bischoff math right here on the show. 7,425,000 people approximately is what we're talking about compared to what we, what we're seeing today. Incredible. Where 2 million or 2.3 million is the high point. And AEW does backflips and talks about, you know, all of the success doing a million or a million two. It's just, and again, I understand it. 
people listening are, yeah, but television's changed and it's streaming. I get it. And that's not incorrect. But there were still far more people watching wrestling that's, than that's that are watching wrestling now, despite the fact that there's more wrestling programming available today and there's more ways to watch it. That should tell you that if you're telling great fucking stories, you're going to get more people to watch it, even if they're watching it on a streaming device. It's, 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 it can be done, and I only get passionate about this because I want to see it happen. I want to see the business grow, and it can be done. I don't think anybody in WWE or AEW or anywhere else should wake up every morning and go, well, yeah, that'll never happen again because, and take any kind of comfort in whatever excuse that, are, that that's being thrown at you or makes you feel better about yourself. Don't, don't accept it. It can be done. You just have to figure out how to do it. It's been done before. It can be done again. And I'd love to see that. I don't care if those 7 million viewers on a Monday night, if half of them come from my phone and the other half of them come from television, I don't give a fuck. I just want 7 million people watching wrestling. That's right. And by the way, that 7.425 million only represents the people that were watching WCW that night. There had to be another 3 million people out there or four watching WWE. We're talking about 10 or 11 million people on a Monday night watching wrestling. You can't get 10 or 11 people watching wrestling over the course of four months. And and I think you nailed it, Eric. That's, that's the narrative. It's not, you know, Hey, is, is, is wrestling hot right now? Absolutely. Social media. Yes. Wrestling's hot. We're excited. There's two major companies we're excited about, but it was wildly much more popular back then. Lots, millions of more people were watching in this day that Eric and I are discussing and that's all he's he's getting at when he talks about these millions and millions, as the rocks say, that were tuned in for these shows. It was just an incredible time for the business. So there you go. Where we move along because Sting's teaming with Randy Savage. As Savage has begun his split from the NWO, and they're against Hall and Hogan in the main event of Nitro. And it's billed as the first time a WCW wrestler and an NWO wrestler teamed up with each other. But, buddy, there's little to no crowd heat. Do you think it's tough to get a reaction for the baby faces at this point here with the NWO just being so hot? What city was that in? Do you remember? This is not, I don't have the location. And I was looking through the notes because I knew that would be the next question, but we don't have, I don't have the location of that, but it could be related to that as well. Well, look, you got a tag team. It's harder for the audience to get behind a tag team because the stakes are different. It's, you know, the, the best scenario, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, is always to have a focus on two people with high stakes. Once you get into a tag match, it can be revenge. It can be a lot of things, but the stakes just don't feel the same. And I think the la- if there was a lack of reaction, I would guess it would be because it was a tag match and not a singles match with high stakes, number one, because they hadn't really accepted Randy as a part of WCW. They weren't really buying into that. I think that's a part of it. I think there may have been an expectation that Randy was going to turn on Sting, and I don't think anybody would have wanted to see that happen. So I think there was probably a lot of variables there that would, would account for a lack of crowd reaction if indeed there was one. Well, buddy, listen, you guys weren't done setting records because another record is set on Nitro when Sting 
the Giant and Randy Savage team up to take on the Outsiders and Hulk Hogan as 4,188,000 homes are watching. Even with the crowd reaction being down, TV ratings being up is certainly a good thing for, for a television company, as you've stated. It's just incredible. It was a fun time. Kind of wish I could go back there. Of course, I kind of do doing this show. It's, you know, the closest I'm going to get is going back and revisiting it because, and a lot of this stuff I'm hearing for the first time and some of it, although I knew it, I forgot about it. So, well, yeah. and you're in the moment at the time you're, you're, you're churning and burning, you're running, you're doing the shows, you're putting on the events and not a lot of time to sit back and look and go through all this type of stuff, but man, nope. what a, what a wild time. It's also reported in the observer that sting is scheduled to start back on the road in late April, Eric. Do you remember this at all? Is this a sting call at this point in his career? No, it wouldn't have been a sting call. It would have been normal course of business. Sting had been, you know, that spooky character for a long time. Now he's back on the active roster and we're still touring. And guess what? So will Sting. It was not a big discussion point or there was no argument or negotiation. It was normal course of business. Okay. Well, it's uncensored. Sting gets the win clean as a sheet over Scott Hall, but it's not in the main event. It's underneath Hogan versus Savage. Thoughts on uh, the world title not being in the main event in this one? A mistake. Don't know how else to say it. You know, in retrospect, I know at that time, having Hulk Hogan in the main event still mattered. It mattered a lot to our pay-per-view distributors who weren't following storylines, by the way. They didn't give a shit. What they did care about is who's on the card and where, because that's how they determine how much promotion they're going to give things. They're going to promote events that they have the highest confidence in, and they'll promote events less that they don't have confidence in. And for the pay-per-view companies, having Hulk Hogan in the main event provided a lot of confidence, which means they would promote us more. So that was the reason from a business perspective, but from a creative perspective and probably even a, one could argue a long-term kind of strategy, it was a mistake. And when you think about it, it is Hogan Savage, right? So you get those two names on the marquee and uh, the goal is they're going to draw again, right? Let me explain that a little bit because I I glossed over a little bit from from the weeds perspective, so to speak. Pay-per-view represented roughly, I'm estimating here, I don't have numbers in front of me, probably 25 to 35%, maybe more, of WCW's total revenue. Probably more, probably closer to 40, 40, yeah, 40% at that time. And we had a budget to promote our pay-per-views. The majority of our promotion took place on the shows itself for obvious reasons, because that's where our audience was. But we did have a pretty significant budget to advertise in USA Today, for example, or to buy radio in key pay-per-view markets. Those are things that we would do. But the vast majority of the promotion, a good majority of the promotion, came from DirecTV, Dish, you know, the people that were providing the pay-per-view because they're pushing it out to their audience, not only within wrestling, but within non-wrestling. 
So we were very dependent on that relationship. And when I said earlier, well, one of the reasons we would have put Hogan Savage in the main event is to keep the pay-per-view companies excited so that they would give us promotion, particularly going into WrestleMania season. Now, again, I'm not saying it was a, a good idea. In the long term, I think it was a bad idea and it was a mistake, as I said. But there is a reason for it that goes beyond a dirt sheet analysis. You can still argue it was a mistake, and I'd accept that. In fact, I admit it. But there's a reason for it, folks. It wasn't arbitrary or, more importantly, it wasn't because that's what Hogan wanted. Because that's what Dave Meltzer would want people to think. Or because Eric Bischoff had his nose up Hogan's ass. Whatever whatever kind of negative narrative that people would come up with. It wasn't that. It was a business reason behind it. And you can, like I said, you can argue the business reason. But there was a reason. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers. I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like y'all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. So if you have a pet, you know they're part of the family. And Fuzzy knows there's nothing that compares to coming home to a wiggle butt or waking up to soft purrs. And that's why we want to keep our pets healthy and make them as happy as us. Fuzzy is a telehealth service for pet parents that offers 24-7 access to personal pet care from veterinary professionals. From everyday questions to middle-of-the-night emergencies, Fuzzy has the answers that pet parents need. Through live chat and virtual vet consultations available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Fuzzy can answer your pet questions, big and small, urgent and every day. Fuzzy can also recommend the exact right products for your pet all of which are handpicked by their established team of veterinary professionals and available at discounts exclusive to fuzzy members from getting your pet's diet just right to meeting their middle of the night needs to finally figuring out what makes their breath smell that way. Nothing is too big or small for a quick fuzzy call right now. Fuzzy is offering our listeners a free seven day trial membership. Go to yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks today to sign up. That's a free seven-day trial at yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks. And for a limited time, Fuzzy is also offering a special discount of $20 off any of your pet's product needs. Pet meds, supplements, food, and more with promo code 83 weeks. That's yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks for your free trial of Fuzzy with access to 24-7 personalized pet care and vet-recommended products. Nah, thank you for uh, the clarity on that. And it makes sense when you think about Hogan Savage, name on the marquee, WrestleMania season, and all the business that goes behind it. Eric, after this uncensored pay-per-view, the next night, you're on to Panama City, and it's Nitro, and Sting comes down from a helicopter after you on the air make mention, hey, there's no rafters. He's not coming out of the air here. Well, he does. And I bring this up, Eric, because Sting recently wrote an article for the Players' Tribune and really, everyone needs to go out of their way to read it. it. It's tremendous. I don't know if you got to see that or hear about it, Eric. It's incredible. I, 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 I did. Uh, I didn't read the entire 
story because it's a story. Um, but I did, I, I did read about half of it. I mention it because I'm going to read an excerpt from that because he brings this Panama Beach uh, Nitro up specifically. So I'm going to read this uh, for you and for the audience. He said, this time we're in Panama Beach for a special spring break edition of Nitro and there's no rafters. There's no roof. They put on the whole show at an outdoor beach club right in the middle of all the spring break madness. So there's no way that Sting is coming down from the heavens to haunt the NWO tonight, right? Shivani is selling it. Bischoff is selling it. Hogan is selling it. He's on the microphone taunting the fans. There's no way Sting is showing up tonight, brother. That's right. When the helicopter starts circling the ring, the wind starts to pick up and everyone's hair starts blowing. Bischoff literally flies out of the ring and 10,000 people look up into the sky at the same time. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Sting. I can't even do the Shivani voice. And I'll never forget that feeling, that sound. The helicopter starts descending, and I'm slowly rappelling down into the ring, and Hogan and Macho Man are the size of peanuts, and they're pointing up into the sky in disbelief. The roar of the fans is coming up, and the roar of the helicopter blades is coming down, and it was like all of the sound met in the middle, and I couldn't even hear myself think. I felt like a real-life superhero, even in the Marvel movies. If you're Captain America, there's a stunt double, right? There's CGI. There's no live audience losing their minds, but I actually got to wear the cape. I actually got to save the day. I had money. I had fame. I had power. I had an amazing family waiting for me at home. I had everything earthly that you could ever want. And you know what? I was completely and utterly miserable. I was spiritually empty. I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I was an addict. The only time I was sober was when I was doing my job. The other 20-some hours of the day, it was a steady diet of painkillers, muscle relaxers, and booze, a never-ending cycle. It was only a matter of time before I was dead. I knew it. But the physical and mental addiction to the opioids was so intense at that point that stopping was unthinkable. Wow, Eric, did you know at this time that he was going through all this? And uh, does it make more sense as you hear that? Knowing this really wasn't the best time of his life at all whatsoever. Mm. That was amazing, first of all. Mm. And and I'm really glad that Sting shared that. Because he's proven by example that you can go from that despair and those challenges and come out of it a healthier, happier, better human being. That's why I say I'm grateful that he shared it. I didn't know the extent of what was going on with Steve, but I don't be really careful how I say this. Back when Conrad and I did the Starcade 98 or 97, episode and Conrad was busting my balls for the finish. And I danced around a lot of stuff as to why the finish was changed and what took place during those discussions. And I, I, I I was very uh, careful about what I said with regard to Sting. And I threw out there, I think, you know, I said, you can just tell that he wasn't really ready. He wasn't really prepared. He didn't even bother to, you know, tan. Mm 
Well, that became the big thing. Oh, Sting didn't get the title, didn't get the shot. They changed the finish because Sting wasn't tan. That's a typical dirt sheet narrative, right? And or social media narrative, I think is a better way to say it. Because it's something everybody can grab onto and have fun with and hate on and all that kind of shit. Yeah. But when I said I could tell that Sting wasn't ready, that's what I meant. And Sting, and I wasn't about to say anything publicly. Sting chose to. But that point in time that we're talking about now in March of 98, it didn't just happen within 90 days. <laughs> it was it had been an issue for quite some time. So it had nothing to do with the tan, folks. Um, but I did not know. I knew he was having problems because Sting and I were pretty close up until probably mid-97, late-97. There was just more distance created between us, partly because I didn't see Steve as much um, and partly because of what was going on with Steve's life. I didn't know the extent of it until I just heard what you read me. But I said to Conrad when we did that podcast, it's not my story to tell. It's not my place to discuss what was going on with Steve Borden or Sting the character. But I think Steve Borden shed a little bit of light on that in that story. He absolutely did. He shared it. It's out there now. And uh, I think, too, what he's done is it's, ins it's inspiring, right? For those that are maybe not necessarily dealing with this exact same thing, but maybe going through whether it's mental, uh, you know, uh, emotional addiction problems, whatever the case may be, this guy was on top of the world. He, what appears to all of us as fans had it all, but as you could hear in those words, he was empty. He said, I was spiritually empty, completely miserable. And, uh, again, I tell you what, it just makes his story now so much sweeter, uh, realizing what he's come from. But again, too, it adds validity to your decision and where you are with Star K97. And it shows the amount of respect that you have for Steve, not wanting to go there. But now that Sting has and shared, it makes complete sense. So thank you. Thank you for it talking was, about that. And, and I want to be clear, man. It was part of it. It wasn't all of it. There were other things going on. Um, it had nothing to do with Steve Borden or any of his challenges. It was part of it. You know, there's never one, for me, there's never been one thing that defines my decision. Um, it's usually a combination of things. Well, as we move on from there, Nitro, the Nitro there, Sting is scheduled to have his first title defense on television, and it's used as an experiment. He's scheduled to take on DDP at the beginning of the second hour to combat Raw starting, and it works as when Raw starts, it normally takes a full ratings point from Nitro, but this time it actually climbs to a 5.4. Sting does get the win, but the real win is in the ratings, isn't it? This is big time. What were the final ratings? Do you remember? Do you have a comparison? Derek, come on, Derek. <laughs> Just have the 5.4 when it, that it climbed to. So there you go. Okay. Well, yeah. so and I don't know what WWE did that night, but let's, let's assume it was close. Um, 
Exciting night of wrestling television on Monday nights, man. Cool shit. But I love the experimentation there. You were always willing to try something new just to see what would work. You had to, yeah. You have to. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting it to, you know, an outcome that's different. I mean, you've got to mix it up, especially when you're doing, you know, 52 weeks a year, two hours a night, three hours a night, you know, or a week, prime time for one show. You, You can't just use the same formula. You've got, you've got to mix it up in order to find out what works. Some things you, you try and they don't work and you go, okay, well, let's not do that again. Other things you try, even though people don't think it's a good idea and you do it and it works. And then you add that to the list of the things that you can put in your arsenal and use at a later date. But you have to try. The match was so good, Eric, that Meltzer even called it Sting's best match in forever. Was there ever a point where you ever thought to yourself, finally, the sting we need is back? And I'm talking about the full character, in-match quality, the whole nine yards. No, because I never really thought he left. Okay. I mean, I, the, the, the scary sting character was a different character with a different energy and brought something different to the table. I, we missed that, you know, high energy surfer sting kind of character in some respects, but there was no going back to that. There was just a different version of it. And I think what we're seeing is that different version. And I never looked at the ups. Well, there really weren't any downs. I never looked at the changes in, in, in sting from a television perspective um, as boy, we need to fix this or, Oh man, I wish I could get that back. I think what we're, what we saw in this particular match was the transition of that, okay, Sting's back. We got it. And the, the story allowed him to have more of that familiar familiar Sting vibe that we used to see than the Crow character did. That character couldn't get all fired up. He wasn't going to come out there and express emotion the way this Sting could because he'd gone through the story. Well, Eric, Nash and uh, Savage would beat Sting and Luger on a Nitro in Chicago at the United Center when Brutus Beefcake, I mean the Disciple, hits the stunner on Luger to give Nash the win. Meltzer would report that Sting hurt his hip during the match. And uh, so so there you go. That I don't know if you recall the hip injury or not. I do not. But, but on the 83rd week, Nitro would win its streak, and that has the main event of Sting versus Kevin Nash, and it's the most watched match up until that point with head-to-head competition with 4.2 million homes watching. That's big time, isn't it? Crazy. It's also reported in The Observer there was actually tremendous backstage heat late in the week because of the feeling that Sting wasn't really hurt and was trying to take some time off, citing that he played 18 holes of golf when he was supposed to be hurting so bad. Do you remember any of this? Is this more Meltzer fiction or? I, I don't remember any of that. And, and let me just say that was Sting. That was not Sting. I have never had that experience with Sting. If he needed time off, he would just come and ask for it and we'd work around it. He was never that guy ever. Not with me. Well, Eric, the next week. This is it. This show was built on 83 weeks. This is week 84. Nitro loses to Raw for the first time when Steve Austin and Vince McMahon are scheduled to wrestle in the main event of Raw in Philly. And that match actually would never help happen. That was the whole build. The Nitro counter 
a rematch of Sting and Kevin Nash from the week before. What do you think about that? Do you think Sting being champion led to the loss of the streak, or do you just think it's no. a rematch? It, or is no, it just it all off the McMahon? It had everything to do with Tyson Austin McMahon. Yeah. When I said earlier, and I went off on that rant about how 98 was so important to WWE and how Mike Tyson was the catalyst and the pivot point. There you go. It's playing out right before our eyes in 1998 with this particular episode. What a sad day uh, it is, but uh, my God, it wasn't sad for me. It wasn't. I mean, that motivated me. I love fighting from underneath. I love being the underdog. That's a really comfortable place for me to be. I like having my back up against the wall. When I used to compete in kickboxing, I didn't really, I didn't really find my gear until after I got kicked in the head once or twice. Then everything changed for me, and I enjoyed the hell out of it a lot more. But I, I just love that, man. I, I don't mind getting kicked in the head and having to fight my way back. I like it, and I liked it back then. So I didn't look at it as sad. People won't walk around going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. They beat us. Oh, what do we do? Oh, my God. There was none of that going on. It was, uh, all right, now we're in a fight. We just got yeah. in the head. Let's get back in this. Come I on. I like it. If anything, it reignites a fire. It did. We gotta, yeah, we got to get our shit together. There you go. I like it. Well, Randy Savage has a torn ACL, Eric, but he's going into Spring Stampede in a title match against Sting, and he wins the belt. He captured the WCW title from Sting in 10 minutes and 8 seconds. So a lot going on here. We're giving this title to Savage, who has a bad knee. We're taking it off of Sting. In the match, Hogan and Nash interfered. Why now is it time to take the belt off Sting? We needed a change of direction. We needed to try to find a way to re-energize. Um, here's the tough part about having the belt on a baby face, and there are exceptions. Hulk Hogan was one of them for a long time. Um, having the belt on a baby face is a tough spot for a company that's trying to build and grow and compete. It's okay for a while, but the, the real magic is in the chase. The real magic is watching your baby face overcome challenges to achieve that goal. Once they've achieved that goal, it's a little harder to keep that level of passion alive because what are the, what is the audience rooting for? They're rooting not to lose as opposed to rooting to win and rooting to win comes with a lot more emotion and commitment than rooting not to lose. Well said, well said by you there, Eric. Eric, this is also the time that the NWO Wolfpack is formed between Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, and Conan. And Sting ends up challenging Nash and Savage for a world tag team title match. How is Savage doing it with all these knee injuries? It's just incredible. He just continues to work with a torn ACL. Randy was such a pro, and he was tougher than nails. And he never wanted to admit if he was hurt. He, he, there were often issues with Randy that he wouldn't share. He was kind of old school that way. You never, you never let anybody know you were hurt because you might not get booked again. So you worked through your injuries. That was a big part of the culture back in Randy's day as he was coming up. 
and even in WWE and then in WWF when he was there. But that was, and, and more than that, I think, I mean, that was true to a degree, but I think beyond that, it's just Randy being tough and being Randy. He, he just didn't want to stop. It's reported uh, in the observer right around this time in breaking news at this time that Hogan suggested turning sting heel and sting refused Meltzer said Sting refused to turn heel, which was Hogan's idea since Hogan figures he needs a top guy to do tag matches with against Hall, Nash, Savage, etc. Sting probably didn't want to make the switch because it would kill his merchandise sales, although the marketing of the Goldberg stuff has resulted in that happening anyway. So was Sting upset that Goldberg's merchandise was getting hot and cutting into his? Is any of this narrative true? No. No, but I've already spent too much time talking about dirt cheat Dave. So I'm, I'm going to skip it. I'll, I'll just answer the question. No, none of it was true. All right. could, could, could there have been a discussion about turning Sting heel? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you have all creative options on the table and discuss them if they made a, a, a little bit of sense? But it was not an issue and it wasn't anything that was discussed seriously. Well, Eric, we move on to Slamboree, and Sting is now tagging with the Giant, and they win the tag belts in what was voted by the Wrestling Observer readers as the worst match on the show over Hall and Nash when Hall turns on Nash. It is the main event of the show, but it's just a flat ending to the show, uh, according to the Observer. Don't know if you recall that matchup at all, but doesn't sound like uh, it was it was received very well from no build up for it. Yeah. There was no, there was no story to it. It was, it was a moment. It wasn't a story. There was no anticipation. There was no reality. There, there just weren't the elements of the story to make it interesting. It's a hotshot move. It's really what it was. It's hotshot creative. I know we'll do this this week. That'll work. That's not a story. <laughs> right. And then we move on to the next night on Nitro. The Giant joins NWO Hollywood and calls out Sting in the main event to make a decision if he would join and stay a champion with him. Sting spits at the Giant and gets jumped by the NWO before Nash makes the save. Do you think this makes the tag titles look like shit in your mind, Eric? Didn't do him any good, did it? They were just being used as a backdrop. A prop, if you will. Yep. No stakes. Nobody cared. Cared about the characters. But the tag titles were incidental to the story. And, and there's a lot of movement, too, going on here. I'm talking about, the, we're much. talking about the wolf, wolf pack going on. People flip-flopping and joining right now. Next up, Lex Luger. He joins the wolf pack. Uh, the week on Nitro and teams with Sting in the main event to take on a returning Hollywood Sting and the Giant. Sting gets the pin over NWO Sting. So we have NWO Sting back, and the show goes off the air with Sting being offered a Wolfpack shirt. Is this the only way you think, as far as freshening up his character at this point? Let's let's make him, you know, Wolfpack here. It was an easy go-to creatively, but it was a huge mistake. And this is where we're now getting into the time so let's talk about what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, let's do that. We got thunder coming up pretty quick in 98. I don't remember what month we premiered thunder, 
But a lot of our creative resources are now being jumbled, and and I had to figure out how we're going to do this Thunder Show and Nitro. And oh, by the way, I had to figure out how I'm going to pay for this fucking show out of my own budget because TBS didn't want to, which is mind-boggling. Um, I had a lot of my own issues internally with WCW because budgets were beginning to get reallocated. I was being asked to do things that I knew were not the right things to do for WCW by people who were senior to me in Turner Broadcasting. This is the beginning of the end. This and it it, it, it progressively got worse in ninety. It really became clear to me that I had a problem in probably July or August of ninety eight. But the months leading up to that were getting really really weird, and taking up more and more of my time. And now add on top of that, WWE is coming back strong. Now I'm now I now I know they're real again. Now they're coming after me the same way I went after WWE very aggressively. So between everything that was going on behind the scenes, and by the way, I encourage people, I know I plug this book a lot, but Guy Evans literally wrote the book on what was going on behind the scenes in Turner Broadcasting as well as WCW from the vantage point of some of the key executives, much senior to me, in the company at the time. And I really encourage people to, to find that book because if you really want to understand what was going on in 1998, particularly in WCW and Turner broadcasting and what I was going through, that book does a phenomenal job, but you know, even in March and April, things were, the wheels were beginning to wobble. As I say, they hadn't fallen off yet. But I started to feel that shake in my front end because the wheels were just starting to wobble a bit. Yeah, it seemed like you were trying to pull all the, the right levers or find what was going to be a hit, and there was a lot going on creatively. But just to mention what you said, Eric, Guy Evans in the book, if you are a subscriber at adfreeshows.com, if you're not, I encourage you to go do that. We had Guy Evans on a while ago for book club, and he came on and answered all of our uh, members' questions and uh, I tell you what, if you join, you can dig back through the archives and listen to that. It was an incredible time. He's very well-spoken, and it was just an incredible interview with him. And he provided a lot of insight that wasn't even in the book. So I can't put that over enough. Yep. Did a great job. So listen, Sting does join the Wolf Pack after coming out in the NWO Hollywood shirt to swerve Hogan. And uh, do you remember whose idea, who pulled the trigger creatively to say, hey, let's put Sting in the Wolf Pack? And was anybody against it? Collaborative, I'm sure. You know, um, Kevin Sullivan would have been in the middle of it. I would have been in the middle of it. Um, Hulk, Kevin, Scott, Sting, everybody would have had a contribution. Uh, nobody just showed up and said, okay, what do you want me to do today? And I'll go do it. It's not how that process worked. So it would have been a collaborative effort led it, primarily it, yeah. by Kevin Sullivan and or me to some degree. Um, and then again, input from everybody else involved. It really was uh it, it was a fun time, I guess. It would be the first time he smiled in what seemed like two years wearing his Wolfpack shirt on TV. And uh, along with the Wolfpack shirt came red face paint 
And uh, it was really, it was a really fresh paint of coat, as Bruce would say. Wouldn't you say, Eric? <laughs> it was. It was a change in direction. Yeah. Hoping, we were hoping that that change in direction would kind of uh, reignite some of the passion for the product. Well, it's Sting versus the Giant, and that's the main event at the Great American Bash in a singles match, and the winner gets the WCW Tag Team titles. So there we go. It's a tag team title match defended in a singles match. How fucking weird was that? That's weird, man. I mean, that may be one of the dumbest things I've ever done, and I've got a big list of stupid shit that I've done. It's you not a short it. list, folks. Uh, yeah, It's not like Jericho's list, but it's it's a pretty substantial list. But this would have to be right up there. If not the number one stupid thing I've ever done creatively, had to get an honorable mention for number one. Yeah, man, it, it's got to be. Just to think we're going to defend tag titles in a singles match. Yeah. Yeah, here, where do I sign off on that one? This sounds oh, my like, God. What yeah, great that? idea. What an idiot. Well, Sting gets the win, and he gets the tag titles, and he also gets to announce who his partner is on Nitro. And uh, But what did you think about the dynamic of Sting and the Giant in the ring working together? From a execution perspective, a ton of confidence. Paul was amazing. Paul was a pro. Well, still relatively green, right? Didn't have a lot of it. Didn't have a decade of experience coming into this. That's right. So he was still relatively new, but was ahead of his time, ahead of his years in terms of experience. He had more experience than he than he should have had at that point. That's that's a that's a credit to Paul. Sting, the ultimate team player, and incredibly gifted as a performer in the ring. So there was no problem with the execution. We expected it to be good. It was good. But the problem is with a character like Paul. I've talked about it before. How, how, how does a guy who is as big and powerful and has demonstrated it so, so many times previously, how, how, how do you, how do you, how do you get heat on him? How do you, where's his flaw? Versus vulnerability, it's tough to do it in a believable way. It's tough to book a guy like Paul. Kevin Nash, same thing, not to the same extent, because Kevin wasn't quite as big as Paul, but he's still almost seven foot, over 325, 350 pounds, whatever he weighed when he was at his peak back then. It's hard to book giants like that. It really is. Because unless they're just totally dominating their opponent, kind of hard to believe in it. You mentioned that he was uh, green around this time, didn't have that decade of experience behind him. And not only that, you would hear that around this time, he would no-show a house in Pittsburgh. That's definitely not the Paul White that we've come to know at this point. But Sting decides, hey, I'm going to step up. I'm going to put over Goldberg uh, in a, in a three-minute match. According to the Observer, it was Sting's idea. He volunteered to do it to save the situation after the giant messed around with his flights and couldn't make the show. When you hear something like this, does this talk to uh, the professionalism and the type of leader that Sting was? Absolutely. It's It's kind of like an illustration of what I was saying a little while ago. Sting is the ultimate team player. This Sting is the guy you want on your team. We're seeing it now in AEW. 
what he did for Darby Allen. I think he put Darby Allen on the map. Absolutely. I, I think I voted for Darby Allen as newcomer of the year in Sports Skeeta, um, largely because of his story in association with Sting and how that elevated him in a really positive way. Um, but that's that's Steve Borden, the person. And you just heard it right here on 83 Weeks. Eric Bischoff is supporting AEW and he supported Darby Allen. So there you go. It's not all, it's not all bad. What I was, have my, I, I have my moments. <laughs> you do come on now. Listen, what was Sting and Goldberg's relationship though, Eric, around this time? Did you oh, know really were good. they really no, good? Really, okay. really, tons of mutual respect. Um, and they enjoyed each other's company. Um, but you know, it, was, it couldn't have been more positive from what I saw. I mean, they, they may have a different opinion on that, but from, from what I saw, they were from your chair. They, they were getting yeah, along. They were, they were tight. Yeah. They were tight. Well, Goldberg, speaking of Goldberg, this is around the time where he beats Hogan for the title at the Georgia dome. And Meltzer brings this up afterwards. The current plans are for Goldberg to keep the title for the time being and not to do a quickie back to Hogan because of the feeling that Goldberg could be the man in the business and to not screw it up as they did sting. Okay. And he goes on and says, and truthfully, a lot of that problem, what just wasn't the way the Hogan feud was booked, but because sting himself had no fire in the ring when he returned. How big a difference are these two scenarios? And did you ever think you and Dave would be on the same side of this argument regarding Sting and Starcade? I, uh, I, I would, I would have to say no. I, I, I try not to be on the same side of Dave Meltzer on anything because more often than not, his opinion, his philosophy, his view of the wrestling business is so wrong that in, in when I was active in the business, if we were heading in a direction and Dave buried it. I knew we were going in the right direction. And if Dave agreed with what we were doing, I knew we probably had a problem. So I, I never aspired to be the dirt sheet booker of the year. Um, if anything, I used Dave's opinion to help guide me, but not in the way that most people would think. <laughs> yeah. It was like, Oh, let's do it opposite. Okay. Oh my God. We're fucking up here. Dave's Dave's writing good shit. Oh, well, we better change that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Eric Bash at the Beach 98 would come and go, and Sting was not on that show at all. I don't know if you recall as to why, but he just wouldn't be on that show. Well, then two weeks later on Nitro, it's Sting and Nash. They drop the tag team titles to Giant and Hall when Bret Hart interferes. Here we go. Here comes Bret to help Giant and Hall get the win. Are you excited about Bret Hart versus Sting? We got the Battle of the Sharpshooter versus the Scorpion Deathlock. Yeah, at this point, I was excited about a lot of things that we could do with Bret. Again, Thunder was coming up. Bret and Sting, you know, being a part of the WCW friend. And that's why I bought Bret in. I mean, that that was the reason Bret got the payday he got was because of the pressure that Thunder was about to put on our roster. And the ability to keep talent exclusive to, to their respective brands. If you will, we didn't call them brands back then. We just call them shows, but now they're brands brands. Um, cause it's cooler, right? It sounds way more sophisticated. To call it's something buzz, a, it's brand. a nice buzzword. Yeah. Buzzwords are great. We all love buzzwords. Um, but yeah, there was a ton of potential on the table with Brett and because you know, Brett never been in WCW, you know, like Hogan. You know, there was, 
There's a world of opportunity that came with Brett. Well, Sting would appear with white paint randomly on Nitro to team with Bret Hart. The Observer would have this this to say, and your name is mentioned right here. I can't wait. Seems Sting is still Wolfpack, but the mean dangerous Sting comes from the ceiling in black and white. The dual personality Sting is actually a Bischoff idea copied from the success of the Great Muda in Japan. (laughs) Is this where you got it from? No. No. Absolutely not. Uh, And can't deny that there's a parallel there, but to suggest that I'm copying an idea or that was the inspiration, it was an evolution of what Sting was doing. It was Sting constantly trying to change up and morph out of that spooky Sting character into something more, into something different and more interesting as a baby face. Um, and, and coming out of that dark, scary, scary, scary crow character, uh, but it had nothing to do with Luna. God. (sighs) Well, from the observer regarding that nitro, the legit heat with Kevin Nash that he has with Hogan and Bischoff reached a new level during and after this television show. Nash apparently believes, and the booking does bear this out, that they are doing everything to make the Wolfpack look bad. And apparently Nash wasn't aware of what they were doing with Sting until it happened. Some would say it's almost poetic justice because Wolfpack is simply this year's version of the four horsemen in the same face spot made to look impotent against the heels, even though they are over with the crowd. Nash was supposed to do an interview on the show and refused when he found out Wolfpack was going to be the whipping boys on the show, that the members wouldn't be helping each other out when getting beaten on in angles, making the unit look bogus, similar to what happened with the horsemen, and that the pay-per-view match was just to set up Goldberg and Giants issue, and he'd again simply be background to get others over. So this long rumor political heat between you and Nash and Hogan, was it ever as bad as was reported? Or do you remember these situations being messy? Talk, talk to us about this. Wow. It's hard to even cover all that I mean, so much. Again, it's just the way he writes is just mind numbingly f- stupid. Um, I'm going to just, I'll try to break it into pieces and address it. Heat between Bischoff and Nash. I guess I need I would need to know what he meant by heat between us. Was it were there moments when Kevin and I would get into an intense, heated discussion? Sure. Fairly regular basis. And then we go have a beer when it was over. <laughs> so it's just a normal course of business. You're you're in a creative business. It's intense. You got competition now that we hadn't had in some time, real competition. Um, the stakes were higher. There were other things going on that complicated life in WCW. And as a result, yeah, there were times when Kevin and I and others creatively would have issues with each other, but it wasn't it would last for 20 minutes or an hour or maybe even an evening until the show was over. And then we went to the hotel bar and grabbed a bite to eat and a beer and talked it through. Um, so I don't know how to respond to that heat between Hogan and Nash. Sure. For the same reason, occasionally it would happen, but I would say 90% of the time because of the respect and the relationship we all had, 
that it was just a flare up. It was like something that would happen in your family. It wasn't like we didn't talk to each other during the week or we didn't want to be around each other. It was the opposite of that, but it, it was a tough time. I've, I've talked long and hard by the time you're talking about now in July and August of 1998, my life was a fucking mess. It was getting really ugly. Things were changing in such a negative way within Turner Broadcasting, and it rolled downhill to WCW as it rolled downhill to a lot of different divisions within Turner Broadcasting. I wasn't alone. Again, read Guy Evans' book. You can believe me. You can not believe me. You could probably not even be sure whether you should or not, which is probably the case for most people. But read Guy's book because you hear it coming from the executives above me who were there at the time. But it manifested about this time at WCW as a lot of confusion, a lot of disorientation creatively, bad communication, if I didn't mention that already. Um, it was a tough time. It was one of the most miserable times of my pro professional career. In fact, about this same time was a period of time where I went home from WCW and I, I got home one night from work and I took Lori out to eat. I said, I think I'm going to quit. I got tons of time left on my deal, but this is not going to work. What I'm being asked to do under the conditions I'm being asked to do it under is not going to work. And I didn't want that on my, I didn't want that on my hands. I didn't want to be the guy in charge when shit hit the fan and I could see it coming. And I talked myself out of quitting. I've talked about this before. I think I talked about it in my book. I, I, I got invited to a meeting. I sat in that meeting. I looked around the room at the people who were above me telling me how, what, how I should run my business creatively now. I'm not talking about man, from a management perspective. They had every right to do that. But from a creative perspective, they had no right because they didn't even understand wrestling. They didn't understand WCW. They knew nothing about it. They didn't want to know anything about it. They just wanted me to change it to fit what they thought was best. And I got home from that meeting and I told Lori, We're, this is not going to work. But I regrettably, it's one of the few regrets I really have, I guess, is I, I wish I would have walked away because things would have ended up much differently for me personally. And I think for WCW. Mm. Well, Eric, right around this time as well, while we're dealing, you're dealing with all this and you're dealing with your own emotions and things and what's going on there. And we're talking about dealing with Kevin Nash and Hogan and all the storylines in the company sting would literally sign a new seven figure contract. And he no longer wants to work on Thursdays. This is according to the observer was, uh, that part of those contract negotiations. Do you remember? No. I don't know where that would have come from. Okay. I can't even imagine somebody fed him that. It's abstract. Sting didn't want to work on Thursday since fucking when? Since never in the begin since the beginning of my professional time with Sting, was there ever a conversation about what night of the week he wanted to work on? Silly guess. 
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hey, here's a heads up. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel like stress, anxiety, or pain feels is a better way to feel better. And if you're struggling with sleeplessness or nervousness, or just looking to relieve some pain without the harmful side effects, we recommend feels feels as a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important, and really, everyone's dose is different. In fact, Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Joining the Fields Monthly Membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save time and money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. So start feeling better with Fields. Become a member today by going to fields.com slash 83 weeks, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's fields.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's fields.com slash 83 weeks. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash 83 weeks. That's feels dot com slash 83 weeks. And when you hear the numbers, it doesn't really make sense that you would think you would have to work on Thursdays. So thanks to a couple lawsuits WCW had filed against them, we did find the contract in the research. Sting for 1998 earned $936,190 in payroll, $85,000 in licensing, $43,000 in merch for a total of $1,064,940. His new contract was due to start January 1st of 99, and it would it include a $100,000 signing bonus, and the base pay for the next two years was $1.5 million, with a max of 175 days a year. What was what about like, Thursday? Was it? What, did they say, did they for say Thursday? anything about Thursday? Not in our research. No. Meltzer is such a good yep, I mean, And the people that still support him, because I, I get it on my social media all the time, you know, I, I, I it's mind numbing how ignorant some people are to actually believe this guy has any credibility or inside knowledge. It's just ridiculous. So, yeah, he got his $1.5 million contract, 175 dates, which was typical, by the way. That wasn't more or less than anybody else. Uh, and we didn't exclude Thursdays, despite Dave Meltzer's reporting on the issue. Talk about negotiating with Sting, Eric. Did he use an agent? What did that process look like for dealing with him? Um, I, You know, I don't know if Sting ever brought an agent into it or not. Something tells me that he may have used Barry Bloom or not. I, I, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because it was so smooth. There were no issues. Sting wasn't greedy. He was 
realistic in his expectations. He deserved what he was asking for, and I was anxious to give it to him. So I'm not sure if he had an agent or not, because the agent wouldn't have had to inter- intercede much. They uh, also reported that uh, the production company Jason Hervey's mother is an integral part of wants to develop a movie for Sting. Do you remember anything about that at this time? Jason Hervey's mother didn't have a production company, so I don't know where that came from. Jason's Her- Jason Hervey's mother was a casting agent, not a movie producer. So I, 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 I can't comment on anything other than that fact. The rest of it is... Dirt cheap nonsense. But you don't remember anything about a potential Sting movie? Um, in 98, there was a movie that I fully supported. I think it was called The Real Reason Men Commit Crimes. The producer, I don't remember his name, but he was based in Atlanta. And Sting had been studying acting and was interested in getting involved and and wanted to break into movies. Obviously we had TNT and TBS TNT primarily was the movie uh, platform more so than TBS. But um, I supported that, but Jason Hervey's mother had nothing to do with that. I don't know where that came from Mm. again, dot dot. If you're a dirt sheet writer, you just fucking connect him with a bunch of shit you make up and hopefully nobody knows the difference. Right, just drop a few important names and some titles. and Yeah, and then make up the stuff in the middle. Yeah. Dot, dot, make up the shit in the middle, and you, you too could be a dirt sheet writer. <laughs> you too could have a your own report and observer. Well, we get to Sting versus Goldberg, and uh, this is a big match, man. It's put out as the main event on Nitro, the night after War Games, and goes head-to-head against Steve Austin versus Ken Shamrock. Goldberg gets the win after Hulk Hogan interferes to help Goldberg. But, man, this is a pretty damn good singles match for Goldberg. It goes eight minutes. This is a far cry from the two- to three-minute squash matches uh, that he would typically have. So what do you think? Goldberg and Sting, they had a, a fun little match here. Yeah, they did. And I, re- I remember that matchup. And this is the beginning of Goldberg now having to kind of evolve into a guy that could do more than just go eat people and add some depth to his character and add some tools to his arsenal or weapons to his arsenal. Um, and it was, it was, it's, it was a, it was a fun time, but it was a little stressful because now we're changing his character too, right? He's going from, you know, a dominating man eating machine to now a guy that's going to have to have some flaws and they have to have some, you got to be able to get heat on him. You got to be able to tell different types of stories in the ring with him. than up until that point he had to tell. So it put a lot of pressure on bill, put a lot of pressure on the people bill worked with. Um, and there was a fair amount of pressure on, on all of us from a business perspective, because you didn't know for sure what you're going to get or how good it was going to be. Was it going to be taking a step back from the character that we had previously fallen in love with, or was it going to actually build upon that character? You, you don't know until you try. Well, Eric, here we go. It's September 28th. We're moving on, and we would see Sting take on Hollywood Hogan when Bret Hart completes his heel turn to join the NWO and get the program between these two finally jump-started. Brett wrote in his book he wasn't excited to be turned heel, imagine that, and thought it was stupidity or sabotage. Do you think Sting got the sense from Brett that he was unhappy at all? Oh, I don't know. Only Sting could answer that. I don't I don't speak for other people. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I can't imagine he didn't sense it. You know, Brett was a guy that, while he, in my experience, I don't know what Brett like was was like at WWF, but in my experience, Brett was. He, he wasn't going to come to you in an emotional frame of mind or even come to you and say, look, we need to talk about what we're doing here because I'm not feeling good. I never, he never forced himself. He was more passive aggressive is not the right way to say it. It was more subtle, but he was easy to read. He might as well have been yelling and screaming because it was, to me, it was obvious when Brett wasn't happy. And I would imagine that Sting probably sensed the same thing. But I don't know. Sting would know that, not me. Well, Sting and Brett continue to battle it out. They finally, uh, on a go-home nitro before Halloween Havoc, they go four minutes, and the match ends when Brett grabs the ropes while in the Scorpion Deathlock, and Sting refuses to break. Did you know why the logic here would be to have Sting and Brett face off on TV to close it out instead of the you know right before the actual pay-per-view? I, I, I honestly, I can't remember, you know, what, what, what the rationale behind that was. I really don't. Uh, I, I will say this. My primary interest was still television because I was working for a television company whose primary interest was television. Hmm. Despite what the dirt sheet narrative is and social media narrative is Turner broadcasting at the time was much more interested in ratings and audience than they were in Revenue. Revenue was important. Not going to suggest it wasn't. But the revenue was there in 1998. Revenue was not an issue in 1998. Ratings were becoming one. So if I had to make a decision between holding off for a pay-per-view or doing what I could to make my bosses happy, I would do what I had to do to make my bosses happy. That was the priority. Well, Eric, they would face off each other at... Halloween Havoc. Brett would retain the U.S. title, pinning Sting in 15 minutes, four seconds. Started slow, never really picked up, according to Meltzer. But Sting would be sent off on a stretcher at the end of this match. He was out for six months after this, so it had to be a statement job. But, uh, wow, he was taken out on a, on a stretcher. Did you know that at this time it was going to be Sting's send-off, if you will? No. No, and I'm trying to I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the circumstances surrounded that. And again, you know, I'm, my memory is pretty good. You know, I do. I've been doing this show for four years. Occasionally, I come across things that I just well, I have to check on that because I honestly don't remember. Oftentimes, when, when when questions are posed to me that I may not remember, it's because I wasn't involved with them. Sure, <laughs> I have no memory of it because I wasn't a part of it um, necessarily. But this is one where I, I'd really have to try to go back and talk to a few people to to get a handle on what was going on again, no excuse. I'm not making an excuse for myself, but people who are listening to this, people who weren't in WCW in the office, I'm not talking about talent. They didn't have a fucking clue what was going on in Turner broadcasting. They did not have a clue ever. None of them were involved. None of the talent that have commented so much about business and WCW and Turner Broadcasting knew who anybody was in management other than Ted Turner. They just had opinions. But there was so much going on for me personally at this time that 
I just don't remember the circumstances surrounding Sting going off for six months. I really don't. I don't know if it was an injury. I, I don't know what it was. He actually wrote in the uh, Players Tribune, Eric, that we talked about earlier, that this is when he had to go get off pills and alcohol and that he was going to quit cold turkey. So that, that's, okay. uh, that's, well, that, makes, that's, that would make sense. Yeah, that's what ended up happening. Um, are you in agreement after just signing Sting to his contract that he goes home and, and, and gets himself right that, that, hey, that's the right call at this point? Who, you know, contract or no I contract? Do. Of course yeah. I do. I mean, look, I, I know we didn't have the drug um, intervention and rehab opportunities that WWE has today. Um, we weren't able, like Tony Khan, because Tony Khan's a privately held corporation and he's a very generous and compassionate person that would likely just make the decision on his own to help somebody out if he felt that they needed it. I didn't have that. I was, I was a part of a publicly held corporation and I had guidelines and rules and human resources and I had to treat everybody fair. I mean, it was more complex than someone would think, but within the circumstances that I had to work with on within and the, the company policy that I had to work within, I supported Scott Hall as best I could when Scott needed help. I supported Eddie Guerrero. You know, when Eddie got hurt in a car wreck, I supported my talent as best that I could within the framework and the parameters that I had to work with them because it was the right thing to do. With regard to Steve Borden, not only was I going to do what was the right thing to do professionally within the parameters and guidelines I had to work with them, but on a personal level, Steve Borden was a friend of mine. Steve Borden came out to my house here in Wyoming. Steve and his, his ex-wife, his wife at the time, were going to buy a, a, a big piece of property right down the road from me. I had that relationship with Steve Borden, so of course I was supportive of it. Do you remember seeing Sting being a changed man when he came back in 1999 or seeing changes in him, though, after that time period? Yes. But it was subtle. I think looking back, the Steve Borden I would see backstage was more alive, just in a conversation. His eyes were brighter. He seemed to be enjoying life more as opposed to the Steve Borden that I had gotten to know over the previous 12 months. That guy was always looking over his shoulder. He, he wasn't, he wasn't as confident in himself as the Steve Borden that came out of rehab. And I think, it, and it was just an indication of what we see now, right? I think Sting has grown. I hate to use the term reborn incorrectly, but I truly believe that Sting was reborn over that period of time. And the new sting was a much more pleasant person to be around because he was happier with himself. It's like he lost 300 pounds and he had an elevated step. That's a great way to say it. He had an elevated step and presence much more than he did when he left. Clarity. I'm sure clarity and uh man, so glad uh, that, as we said earlier, that he rebounded from all the tragedy and struggles that he had. What a great story. 1998 Sting. Eric, we do have some fan questions this week. We're going to go rapid fire. We'll move quick. Some of these you answered as we went, so I don't expect 
Uh, very long answers, but we're going to give it a shot. So there this is go. a way of you saying, I got to get the fuck out of here, Eric. Would you please just get to the point and move on? <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> very subtle there, Paul. Yeah, I mean, was it? It doesn't. I don't think it was. You got it. All right, here we go. Hazard F5. Our buddy Shane, whose choice was it to put Sting in the wolf pack? And was it a mistake too soon to drop the crow character? I enjoyed his charisma in the group, but I felt the darker crow character still had a hell of a lot more that could have been done with him before being dropped. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of singing the wolf pack. I wasn't a fan of the wolf pack. Uh, not, not, not the people in it, not the basic story, but I don't think it was set up well enough. I don't think it was executed properly. So adding Sing into something that was kind of on shaky creative gr- ground was clearly a mistake. All right, up next, Mike Top Guy Whitaker, our buddy Mike Whitaker from Ad Free, says, we all know that Sting's head wasn't in the game at Starcade. How long into 1998 was he there? When did you see the changes, That when, when you started to see the changes in him? I think we just got done talking about it. We did. All right, good stuff. Jason Bayless, Goldberg over the years, has named Bobby Eaton and Sting as two of the guys he'd have openly lost the streak to. Was there any talk of that happening when he and Sting faced in September of 98? Repeat that real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. Goldberg over the years named Bobby Eaton and Sting as two of the guys he would have openly lost his streak to. Was there any talk of that happening when he and Sting faced each other in September of 1998? No. Nope. All right. And that, you know, it says a lot for Bill and and Bill's relationship as we talked about with Sting. You know, you asked me that question. How well those two guys get along? There's your answer right there. And Bobby Eaton, I think that's a... That's pretty damn cool. That is awesome, isn't it? That's yeah. What, cool. Says a lot for Bobby. Ryan Walker is up next. Is there anything you regret about Sting's bookings and his time in WCW in hindsight? I think this whole show was dedicated to the ups and the downs and the, the good decisions and bad decisions about you know, there's always missed, you know, hindsight's a hindsight is an evil, sexy bitch, right? You can't help but look and spend time thinking about it, but it does you absolutely no good. So I don't, I don't think about it too much. Rory Melberg says, and this is a fun one. Which version of sting do you enjoy the most? Eric surfer crow or the Joker from the TNA days. Yeah. Your personal but, preference. From a business perspective, crow sting. From a purely creative perspective, for a moment, Joker's thing. Joker, he was a, that was a fun one. That I enjoyed awesome. that one too. Yeah, because he had so much more. He could do so much more. I mean, scary thing, you know, come yeah. out scary and point the bat. And, mm, action creates emotion, right? And and the lack of action from Scary Sting, for the most part, for such a long time, required that that moody anticipation be turned up so high in order to keep the audience's attention. Whereas Joker sting got to do all kinds of wacky shit that would keep the audience's attention. And because of the wacky shit options creatively, it just was more fun. And it was very short lived, but God, it was fun. It was entertaining, man. And you know what made it fun? Steve Borden had a great time doing it. Yeah. That comes what through. It, it came work. through. That's right. And that came he through. He had so much fun doing that. And yeah. that connects. You often hear me talk about, you know, somebody came up, Conrad asked me something about Ronda Rousey. And, and again, I don't know Ronda. I've never met Ronda. And I've never been backstage. I don't know anything about Ronda or what she's like to work with. All I know as a viewer, 
I don't think she's having fun. I don't think she's having fun as a heel. I don't think she's having fun as a baby face. I think she's going through. I don't want to say going through the motions because that's just non-commitment. I think she's so uncomfortable in what she's doing that she doesn't yet know how to have fun doing it. Yeah. And that comes across to me as a viewer. Um, and the opposite of that is Sting doing the Joker character. That was so much fun with it that it was hard not to enjoy it. With repetition and doing it more and more, and you know, that's the little the green side of Rhonda in wrestling. I would agree with you. I think as she gets more comfortable within herself and being on that stage, she will get better and better and better. And that won't I, come I, through. I believe that. I mean, I'm, yeah. some of the stuff she does in the ring physically yeah. is like really cool. Yeah, shit. it's it's, an, it's she's just got to find a way to enjoy doing it. Yeah. Yeah, trust me, I understand how that works too. Just yeah. So adfreeshows.com top guy Mitchell Barnett asks, Eric, what in retrospect is your over this is a this is a this is a question here. What in retrospect is your overall opinion of the NWO Wolfpack from a creative standpoint and from a purely business perspective? Merch sales, driving tickets and pay-per-view sales, etc. Look, it's all based everything. All of those things, merch sales, pay-per-views, ratings, all, all, all ticket sales, live event sales, whatever, all of that is story. It's all driven by story. And the problem I had with the Wolfpack is I don't think enough time and effort was put into the story behind the Wolfpack in order for it to have been as successful as it had the potential based on the people in it to be. I like it. I agree. I think you give it a little bit more time to morph and uh, to build and, and really make it. it special. We rushed it. It was At- just, you know, the, the, the original NWO was that happened over a period of time. It started in May and it became a reality in July. Whereas Wolfpack became a reality next week. There just wasn't the time and the build and the identity that it needed in order for it to reach its potential. And it, again, had nothing to do with the people in it and a lot more to do with me and my lack of focus, my lack of creativity, as well as others who worked with me in that, in that capacity. Um, we were all, you go from building a fire to putting the fire out while we were building the fire Starting in 96, well, really starting in 95 with the debut of Nitro and then continuing to build a fire in 96 with the NWO and continuing to build the fire through 97 and up till this point, 98. And all of a sudden, we're not building fires anymore. We're trying to put them out. And I think the creative behind NWO Wolfpack was a, a victim of that. Three more questions, Eric. Adfreeshows.com slap nut Brandon Newberry asked, did Sting or other NWO talent have a new shirt for every event waiting in the locker room, or do they just have someone grab one for them out of the merchandise truck to use on screen? Always curious how talent got the countless shirts that they wore at each and every event. The latter. There you go. The latter. What do we got in the back? Adfreeshows.com, my push member, Yambag Jones, is up next and asks, is Steve Borden the most patient person ever in the history of the business for putting up with so much shit creatively? Be careful with that, man. That's a negative. That's a negative. See, I, 
putting up so much shit creatively. Here's a guy that got pushed to the moon as Surfer Sting. Here's a guy that recreated his career and his legacy with Surfer Sting. Uh, were there ups and downs in between? Of course there were. But, my God, he is 63 years old and is out there as the Crow character, which creatively is what his legacy is going to be. So I don't think that his career's been that bad or he's had to put up with that much crap. Any different than anybody else has. Final question. Adfreeshows.com enhancement talent Steve Zentner asks, could he have benefited from a heel run in WCW? It seems he got lost in the shuffle at times with all the talent around him. Well, we almost got the answer to that question, right? Sting was originally the third member in the NWO before Hulk Hogan stepped up and wanted that role. Mm. So we got damn close to finding out, but we never did, did we? And we'll never know. Eric, I just got to say, I, I fill in for quite a few of Conrad shows. You get the most fan questions of anybody. They, people love to ask you questions and pick your brain. It's 83 weeks is where it's at, man. Well, be careful, people. There's not much left. <laughs> Stop picking. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Speaking of picking his brain, you can do so live at supershowlive.com along with he, Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Hardy, and William Regal, along with Conrad, that's in at Gillies in Dallas, Texas. Eric, I know you're excited about being a part of that event. I can't wait to go to Gillies, man. Urban Cowboy, that was my jam back in 1976 or 7, whatever it came out. Um, yeah, I can't wait. But what I'm really excited about is this is available on pay-per-view. It is. So anybody listening to this anywhere in the world, guess what? Love to have you, Gillies. Hope to see you there. But if you can't make it to Dallas, you can do the next best thing and be there live. It'll be fun. I encourage you buy it live. What, what an incredible event that Conrad and team and all of you guys have put together. It is going to be incredible. Go to supershowlive.com. As Eric said, it, streaming exclusively on fight TV and uh man, what an event it's Friday, April 1st, super show live. And uh, there, I know Conrad, we know he's got more surprises up his sleeve. There's already enough talent that's been mentioned, but you know, there's going to be more Eric. That's what he does. Yeah, there is. And it, it's so much fun. I told Conrad the other day, we were talking about this and it's just amazing to me that we're doing this live show on pay-per-view I mean, a couple of years ago it was, Hey, let's go do this live show. There'll be two or 300 <laughs> people there. It'll be fun. And we're now we're doing it on pay-per-view and we've got amazing talent. Jeff Hardy can't say enough great things about Jeff, Steven Regal, huge, huge fan, nothing but love and respect and everybody else that's going to be there. Jeff Jarrett and I have gotten to be better friends now than we've ever been. And we've known each other for a couple decades. Conrad Thompson can't say enough for him. He's the glue that brings us all together and holds Absolutely. it together. And we build upon, and I'm just grateful to be there, man. I'm just, I'm along for the ride and grateful to be invited. Well, buddy, you guys aren't done there because on Friday, May 20th, it's 83 weeks live in Oshkosh. Conrad and Eric, they're going to be in Oshkosh at the Time Community Theater for an exclusive live 83-week show. Tickets are just $30 and are on sale right now at acwwisconsin.com. That's acwwisconsin.com, all one word. And then the next night on the 21st, you guys aren't done at ACW Water City Wrestling Con featuring Eric Bischoff, Malachi Black, Dan Housen, The Godfather, and many more. You can get your tickets at acwwisconsin.com. 
for that live appearance from Eric as well. Eric, you're going to be busy, man. You're all over. You know what's fun about the Wisconsin shows that we're doing? It's a week before my birthday, and it's Wisconsin. I love the state of Wisconsin. I love the people in the state of Wisconsin. They know how to party, and they know how to have fun. And I'm going to start celebrating my birthday that weekend in Wisconsin. So come on out. And and I and I don't know a whole bunch about the event. Is this a David Hero uh, venture no, no. put on? No. Okay. All right. Well, regardless, he's a good guy too. Check it out. ACWWisconsin.com and celebrate Eric Bischoff's birthday with him early. You can see him and Conrad together Friday night and then Saturday for the appearance. Eric, next week you and Conrad will be back off the beach with your tan bods, and you're going to be talking all things about Sid. We'll be discussing Sid's return to WCW in 1993, the Beach Blast mini-movie, his eventual push to be champion, the stabbing incident with Sid and Arn. You guys are going to get into it, and I can't wait to hear it. I look forward to it, man. Thank you very much, Polly, for sitting in for the big man. I appreciate it. I know our listeners do, and you enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. All right, Eric. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk soon next time here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy-low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.